Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the behind the green door of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka fran- <laughs> frantically emailing Nocturno Culto over a new blockchain-based solution for metal purchases called the Cult Coin. Whoa, that's actually a pretty good idea. <laughs> also, wait, wait frantic, we... fr- frantically emailing Nocturnal Culto is also a good idea. Wait, fans, <laughs> fans, I said that as a joke. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I would certainly never condone, uh, uh, what is it, uh, coordinated harassment of Nocturnal Culto. <laughs> no, we, we, we stick with Fenris for that. That <laughs> That's... Yeah, actually, yeah, seriously, like, Fenris, you can fuck with Fenris, leave, leave Ted alone. Yeah. Mm. So, and who are you? Ah, well, funny you asked. I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Uh, an exclusive behind-the-scenes interview with the minds behind Bloodstock 2021. <laughs> Is there something going on with Bloodstock that I don't know about, or? Absolutely nothing. Okay. <laughs> I will, I'll I'll take that to heart. <laughs> I, not, I did look at the Instagram page for Bloodstock a while ago. I'm not sure I even knew where it was. I think I probably assumed it was in France or Germany, but it's in the UK. And uh it's um you know, I uh, I I looked at I looked at the Instagram page and the photos of the crowd at Bloodstock and I was like my god. Like it was, it was pretty bleak, man. That's all I'm gonna just, say. Just Vakken times two. Uh, like way worse. I mean, not like okay. Vakken is just Vakken is just normal people who actually like metal. You look at the crowd at Bloodstock, and you're like, oh yeah, I guess these kinds of people do like things that are called metal. Ah. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, uh, not too much news in the Terminus co-prosperity sphere, except. Uh, obviously, I have to make note, not extreme metal related, but uh, have to say rest in power to the legendary Norm MacDonald, uh, whose passing really, really took the wind out of my sails for a few days there. Uh, I, I don't talk about it much on the show, but I'm actually a really big stand-up comedy fan. And uh, Norm is... I've actually just been on a huge Norm kick recently for the past few months, uh-huh. going to a lot of his old stuff. As well as, you know, just growing up with him. And he really is one of the most consummate comics of all time. And worthy of bringing up on the show, specifically because Norm MacDonald, we found only after his death, had been battling cancer for ten years without ever mentioning it publicly. And would frequently say on various interviews and podcasts that he had no respect for people who would use something like that as a way to drive popularity. So, that basically instantly makes Norm MacDonald the most black metal stand-up comic that's ever lived, I believe. I was going to say, you say it's not extreme metal related. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is uh, through deed, not word. Yes, yeah. I think we were talking about this the other day, and I think I said uh, Norm MacDonald, the, uh, the ill-jarn of stand-up comedy. <laughs> that is very true. I mean, that is very true. Like, like he looks like ill-jarn. Yeah, he kind of does, man. Just, the, the, just the, sh- the shaved head, the leather jacket, the sort of inherently scowling, narrowed face. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the the sort of uh, the sort of curmudgeonly leave me alone attitude. 
He was the uh, a secret additional member on Sort Vokter's record. We'll come to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so rest in power, Norm. Yeah, rest uh, in power, make Norm. Make him laugh. Um, so real quick, because uh, we got a very strange kind of episode today. Uh, usual housekeeping with a little bit more. Uh, so social media, follow me on Facebook at Terminus Podcast. Follow the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, additionally, if you want to support us, you can help subscribe to us on uh, Patreon or Subscribestar. And uh, we've actually got some new stuff cooking for that. So uh, we're, uh, we're recording a day late because yesterday we did our latest bonus episode. And uh, we've been well, promising... And, and, I mean, well, to you, I'll, we'll give them the second reason we recorded late after this. Go ahead and talk, talk about the bonus stuff. Oh, well, yeah, no, we... Uh, yeah, so we've been talking a long time about these various Patreon tiers, and something we've always had is the ability to vote on bonus episodes at the uh, $10 and up tier. And uh, finally, we've kind of hit a, a massive enough uh, supporters where we're uh, finally implementing it instead of just stealing from people. <laughs> so, uh, so Terminus Intern, so to speak, Hyper Shaman. Uh, the other day, just as... Uh, kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing, decided to create a a grid list of Terminus Hood classics of, uh, I think it's a total of 144 records. Whoa. Um, and it's a combination of, you know, obviously Stone Cold classics that anyone would like, uh, a lot of deep-cut stuff that we're personally invested in, and in general, it's just kind of an aggregate of things that we talk about on the show, but we haven't necessarily covered, a lot of older stuff. Um, it's not designed to be a... Uh, a catalog of the most important stuff, but it is the most significant for our taste on the show. So what we're going to start doing for people subscribing uh, $10 and up is we're going to start doing regular polls to uh, allow people to vote on what they want to hear about on the Terminus Prime episodes and, uh, you know, just trying to file things down a little bit so that we can uh, really give the people what they want, so to speak. Um... Yeah, so that's that's that, you know. And then, of course, if you're you know ten dollars and up is a little bit steep, you can always do three dollars and up gets you access to all the terminus episodes, uh, the bonus episodes rather. Uh, you just don't get to vote on them. And five dollars and up gets you access to our private Discord server. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of kind of cool moving and shaking going on behind the scenes right now. Um, and uh, all right, so today's episode. Uh, do you want to give the spiel about like how, how this kind of came to be? <laughs> yeah, well, so the other reason we recorded late is that this is the driest week in the for releases in the history of Terminus. Um, it's possibly in the Possibly in the history of the world. Um, like uh, nothing good happened. <laughs> like, it, it, to figure out like anything good that came out this week was either like a reissue or some... Uh, very obscure cult shit where there's like not really a point to reviewing it because we know how it sounds and you either like it or you don't like mm -hmm. I don't know what was there um, there was a band um, I don't know like as far as a new thing that came out that was okay there was something on Signal Rex let's see like you know some oh yeah Diabolical Full Moon put out The Pagan Wolves Will Rise Again and well that's like pretty solid if you like Graveland and, uh, uh, you know, um, what, what, what's the other one? Uh, you know, Infernum. 
Uh, mm-hmm. But, like, there's nothing to say about it. And, uh, you know, it's... We would just be like, yep, sounds like power chords with keyboards. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, so other than that, there was really jack shit coming out. Um, and uh, we were both frustrated. We both tried to pick things and basically just got angry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was really uh, annoying. <laughs> yeah, like, um, we ske- the things in the schedule changed like three times. Uh, we, we, and, you know, eventually it was like, oh, wait, we, we, we're both sick of this. So um, I, I was like, well, why don't we just review old stuff? Um, so <laughs> we're going to – this is not going to be like the bonus episodes where we talk about classics or, you know, hidden deep cuts from times of yore, right? But, this, but we're going to talk about recent releases that we couldn't review because Terminus was but a, uh, but a, but a glitter in our eyes. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, – and so it's it's an interesting sort of thing because hopefully because this is stuff that we've liked enough that a couple years later we still want to tell you about it. Yeah. Um and what I got to ask you leading into this and I think you might ask me is uh given the things we selected as you all will hear uh, what does this say about us as people? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's well it's the most it's, it's, it's the most predictable shit in the world i think <laughs> it's, it's very predictable but it also indicates that we are complete idiots <laughs> yeah these are all these are all pretty dumb records but in a very I'll, cool way I'll, I'll come back to it but one running theme for tonight is records where the songs are the first two riffs i think that basically applies to everything on this. Yeah, uh, so yeah, um, much. it's like, what do we listen to when we're not digging out, uh, you know, digging out uh, sort of uh, cryptic and frustrating uh, future cult classics or, um, you know, meditating on the masterworks of uh, Alexander von Meilenwald? Well, we mostly listen to stuff with big, dumb riffs we like. So without <laughs> further ado, take it away, buddy. Um <laughs> So, first session of Big Dumb Riffs. This is coming from 2019. <laughs> this is, <laughs> and this is a, the most predictable fucking pick for me on the planet, and yet it's an album that you introduced me to last year. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, t- if we had been doing this show in 2019, this might have been my record of 2019. Uh, it, we've got Totenvak with Der Schwarze Hort. Uh, independence and also on worship tapes, which also, by the way, blows my fucking mind that like a bigger label hasn't reissued this. Um, that this is, is crazy. I think they'd done some stuff on Purity Through Fire at some point, but um, mm, okay. yeah, yeah. And this is just big, dumb, hook-driven, Franco-Finnish stuff. You know, in its purest form, and uh, I've listened to this record probably 30 times since you introduced me to it. It's like my regular driving record, and uh, yeah, I just I fucking love it to death. <laughs> yeah, I-, I listened to it a ton, um, and it's the kind of record where I listened to it, I had things to say. It's the kind of record that inspired Terminus, because I was like, god damn, I keep writing reviews of this in my head. Um, uh... <laughs> Yeah, so yes, this is a rare this is an example of a down the line version of that style that I actually really like. Um okay, next up, we got um 
Fadum, Edge of the Wild. Uh, as this is, what is this? Well, it's Stenchcore, and it's Stenchcore with legs. Mm-hmm. As in uh, Stenchcore that can move, um, di- that you know, like an alligator or a bear, can move disconcertingly fast. Um, and this is, uh, like anything from the crust scene, there are six gajillion record labels that put it out, uh, including Zaynin Records, Headnoise Records, Voice from Inside, and I'm, wait, I'm missing one others. Oh, Black Against Night is the Australian label that did it on Bandcamp. Uh, so, and yeah, this is a Russian band, so that I think Zaynin and Headnoise are both Russian. Uh, so, um, wh- yeah, I, I told you what it was. Um, it is sick. I listened to it again today, and uh, it made me ha- bang my head, and it made me happy. Um, All right, so after our interlude, I'm going to be back with a, uh, a record I mentioned on the uh, end-of-year episode for 2020. This came out in January or February of 2020, so a few months before we started the show, but it was an honorable mention for me. Uh, and this is going to be internal rot with grieving birth. And uh, there we go. And more uh, more punk label shenanigans released on Iron Lung Records, Head Split Records, Blast as Fuck Grindcore, and <laughs> 625 Thrashcore. 625 Thrashcore is an excellent label. But, and if your yeah. label put this out and you're not on the list, you can email us at <laughs> Terminus <laughs> Extreme Metal Podcast. And we'll we won't put in a correction. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll say we'll try to remember it and then we won't. <laughs> yes. God. So I used to be so conscientious about that. Um, Internal Rot is a gory grindcore band from Australia. Uh, this is, I believe, their second full-length record. Um, it is less than half an hour long. It has like 23 songs, and it sounds like exactly what you expect, but better. Okay. And finally, I've mentioned this band a few times on the show, um, but it's one of those things from recent years that I just fucking love, and if anything, haven't mentioned enough. It is in part because there's not that much that sounds like it. This is Ageless Wilderness by Hate Spirit, all one word. Um, and this is out, uh, this is um, on Bandcamp by Nukta Records, that's N-Y-K-T-A, that's Greek for bat. Um, and uh, Altare with an E on the end productions um, and this is a band from Finland that does not sound particularly like Finn Black um, and plays absolutely berserk grinding uh, just I guess like Nordic black metal sort of second wave but it really could only be made now What's up, everybody? I'm the death metal guy, and I've never learned how to fucking read. I've heard a lot of interesting people on the internet talk about how black metal is about, like, Nietzschean philosophy, or it's about the devil, or, you know, it's about, like, really complex pagan mythology and stuff. But I'm here to tell you that black metal is about sugary sweet riffs in compact, straightforward songs that don't make my head hurt too much. And that's why we're listening to Totenbach's Der Schwarze Hort, which it, it, I wrote in the notes just, I am trash. And you actually wrote that this is significantly less trashy than a lot of stuff that I like, which blows my mind because this is right at the top of shit you should hate based on my reading. <laughs> well, I, I mean, 
I think, you know, like, I mean, I say on the show that I do not inherently hate Franco-Finnish riffs, right? It's always like, mm -hmm. I like Satanic Warmaster as much as the next guy. Um, I like, uh, you know, I like Goat Moon riffs. I like fucking the old Senor Valand records. I like, uh, I like Finn, who just carried that to the total maximum, right? Uh, I like, I even like... Let the Devil In by Sargeist. That was actually a huge record for me back in, when I was younger. I think that sort mm -hmm. of got me into that whole style of riffing more. Um, and I like a bunch of other Finnish bands that are sort of tangentially related to the style. But like, uh, um, and so this is an example. It, it's really the bands that work with that as their stock ingredient and don't... Uh, and right, sort of uh, rely heavily on the inherent epicness of that style of chord and scale to try to carry their songs. Uh, you know, the most the the band we've covered on the show that was most like that is Sarkrista. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think we both think in retrospect that that Dumal record, which we both kind of liked at the time for different reasons, uh, was a fairly significant offender, at least at, in on some of the tracks. Um, yeah. That was uh, I liked it just because like that was early on in the glut of those kinds of records we covered, but mm -hmm. then we haven't covered yeah. a lot of that kind of thing this year, so I think we both got burnt out on it after a while. Yeah, um, and there's um, well, there's just so much of it, and there's been so much of it for a while, uh, and you know the um. This and you know, there's a lot of a lot of bands from Germany that play this style and that are you know kind of mediocre. Mm -hmm. uh, Totenvok is a band from Germany that plays this style, but is really, really, really good at it, and reminds me why that style of riffing is so appealing to people in the first place, and why I like the foundational bands in the genre. Um, and I think that uh, the way the you know, I mean, the band basically is a guitarist, right? You know, mm. like, yes, there are vocals which are performed well and loud and angry. And yes, there are drums which are fast. Um, but basically, the guitar is by the guy who's listed as Host of Cinder, of course, Dark Souls, uh, or Res Bellicke, <laughs> um, who's from Austria originally. Um, although this band's from Hamburg, Germany. Um, and... Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Bellicay's riffs are, uh, like, he takes certain core. he does the same thing as Finn, but emphasizes different things. He takes certain really dense, high-tension, glorious chords from, that will occur in one part or two parts of a Satanic Warmaster riff as sort of, like, the sort of flourish that makes it, um, mm -hmm. and uses that as the baseline to build from. So your your baseline chord on this record is not just a sort of like two string like, you know, power chord to minor 6 chord to fourth chord to whatever to seventh, right? There's there's more going on in the chording. Um and uh although these melodies are sugary in the sense that they all flow very that they have that sort of constant like flowing quality that these this riffing style is famous for sort of effortless kind of, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, flowing, this sort of 
ev- everything flows into the next thing or whatever. Uh, they, I think they're you know they're they're a good bit darker than Finn riffs. Um, mm-hmm. And Finn does it really well too. I don't know. So basically, I think there's a lot that is extremely limited about this record too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, why, why it's, don't it's you, why don't you talk about it? Why don't, yeah, why don't you talk about it a little more, and I'll, I'll try to get back to some of my thoughts about it. Because, well, it's yeah. A, it, yeah, it's a one-idea record. Um, this is a single idea that is just so perfected and so polished. You know, there there's a mastery of a certain kind of black metal guitar technique on here that's almost mm-hmm. unmatched. Um, yeah. But I think yeah, one yeah. of the big secrets of it is that at first blush, it looks like it's completely within the wheelhouse of mm-hmm. all the, the usual suspects of the style. But then, when you really dig into it, and then if you do what I did, and you jump on guitar and you start trying to play some of these riffs and puzzle them out, you start to realize, oh, even though it's getting to kind of the same place as something like Satanic War Master or Sargeist, they're doing it in a completely different way. So, you know, it's it's only after several listens that you start to realize, oh, this doesn't actually sound that much like any of those bands. No. Like, it's it's dwelling in the same kind of mood and the same kind of melodic territory, but the actual way these riffs are constructed is is pretty substantially different. You know, there's... And it's hard to think of an obvious comparison. I guess maybe the closest thing would be something like Roster Chester, which is starting to get pretty big these days. Um... Mm-hmm. You know, or uh, what's that uh, that other one that you talk about? Uh, Die Totale. Total Vernichtung. Uh, I, I don't think this sounds like Total Vernichtung. I th- I think in places it does. Total Vernichtung has some really, really just like sprightly, like overly bright riffs sometimes. Um, I don't think these are sprightly, though. I mean, no, like that, no, Total Vernicton is, like, bouncy and sounds like R.A.C. and, like, literal emo, like Leatherface or something. Um, you don't think th- Totenfuck is bouncy? This is bouncy as fuck to me. This is party music, man. I think it's, I think it's very, oh, it's certainly party music, but it's very capital G gothic. Um, this is not, like, um, I don't think this is, like, get out, go out and get drunk with the boys type thing. It, it, it is that, but inadvertently, in the sense that, like, sick evil metal is go out and get drunk with the boys music. Yeah, it's, um, it's not quite devil has the fastest motorcycle shit. No, I mean, no, the lyrics, I, the lyrics actually appear to follow a plot about the gradual sort of corruption and downfall of a medieval kingdom. So they're, mm-hmm. go, they're coming at it from a slightly, uh... The sense of black metal here, I think, is actually pretty deep. Like, these guys are true believers. Um, yeah. And they have the fantasy Satanism thing of the 90s on... They have that pretty well... They, they understand that. Um, and in terms of the mood, yeah, I mean, like... No, it, it's, a, it's a fucking banger. Um, and there are parts that are stompy in the way that a band like Total Vernicton sort of might be, right? There's it, Notably, there's the one song that we think is the weakest, although sort of by accident, right? De, does uh, uh, De Koenigstolz Acht. Um, See, I actually went back, and that's not the one I thought was the weakest. I thought the title track was the weakest, actually. Mm. I, I got him switched around, but... Well, the, the, <laughs> but I know d- what you uh, mean. Does Koenigs is like, basically... Well, this is where I can get into what the limitation is, like... That track has a killer stomp riff. 
Mm-hmm. It's just a steamroller. I love the riff on that album. It even starts with horse sounds, which is always a plus. Um, but like, uh, the riff rolls on, and it goes through its couple variations, and then it rolls on again, goes through its couple variations, and then you get the whole sequence again before yeah. anything else happens <laughs> in the song. Uh, and you're like, the approach to this is. Um, although the melodies here are not grid written everything else about the music is you take the riff and you drag and drop it and extend it for eight reps you play another riff for four reps you take the riff you drag and drop it another eight another four and if this fails it fails catastrophically right this band is embracing a like a higher an extremely restrictive template um, and other bands, like, you know, aforementioned bands, do this by accident and uh, without being conscious of the limitations. They're just like, it's like, hey, guys, I found a sick way to write cool songs. Um, this band seems to know they're playing a game mm-hmm. where, yeah. like, all the variation comes from the guitars. Uh, all the relations between the riffs come from all the sort of transitions come from the guitars. They're almost like, they're basically are not transition riffs. This is like, you were talking about how an axis of advance, right? They don't do transitions mm-hmm. um, when we're doing our bonus episode. Well, this is like that, but the opposite. The way to get, because the format is so limited, it's just like riff A, riff B, riff A, riff B. All you can do is write a riff that incorporates a turnaround so that it just drops into the next riff. At full tilt, there's no slowdown, there's no anything, right? Uh, so everything, there has to, it, it stands and falls on a total necessity that's built into the melodies. And yeah. the, the amount this guy pulls it off is astonishing. But if the overall, if these very basic sort of uh, as close to verse chorus as you can get kind of arrangements, in many cases don't work like in that song they really don't work because then you've just got a minute and a half of melody that is like almost tone for tone interchangeable with exactly what you've heard before and you're like i could just delete this minute and a half and the song would be like the banger (laughs) i I can see where you're coming from you know you know for me it's a little different just because so much my time listening to this is literally just like in the car you know, oh no, no! Still, I was listening to it dr- walking around. Same way. I um, uh, I gotcha. It's, well, it's it's like for me. I'm like a lot of the time. I'm half listening to it. You know. Ah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm like bored, like walking around at night or whatever. Yeah. Also, you know, yeah. The point is like that's ju- that thing that really ha- that happens really only happens in that song. But there are it's a tendency in other songs where you'll hear, okay, maybe this has gone on a little long. Oh, I don't know if I would have repeated that the full eight times or whatever. And yet the riffs are so damn good and the transitions between the riffs are so uh, like just uh, <laughs> dramatic. Like each time a new riff hits, it's like, fuck yeah, hell yeah. The new riff is sick. Um, Speaking of uh, which. Yeah, let's go. First first song first riff immediately the moment i heard this when you first told me to listen to this band Mm -hmm. i heard this riff and i was like i'm I'm fucking done man i'm (laughs) so (laughs) 
it's like they internalized all the best parts of all the most florid kind of popular black metal bands mm-hmm. with with just like with, with like the the viciousness of the CEO of a major corporation where it's just like <laughs> we're Oh, all the oh the the kind of like dark throwing shit. Yeah, no, fuck that. We're just gonna do, we're gonna do this one riff eight times instead, and they're gonna and they're gonna thank us for it, and they're gonna pay us. You know, it's like, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, a lot of yeah. I mean, some of the talent here is how do you write um, riffs that have this kind of flowing neoclassical form that yet loop back on themselves and allow you to repeat them eight times, the last time being as sick as the first, right? Mm -hmm. In some way, the talent for songwriting here is, it's weird, or I mean, I mean, in some way, this is, this is one particular version of a key thing for black metal songwriting, which is having an ear for neoclassical, for classical and or folk melody, while also understanding hardcore at the source. And, like, mm-hmm. these songs are written like hardcore songs. The way a D-beat yeah. song works is, Actually, well, damp... All the, so- like, all the songs on all the records tonight are written like hardcore songs, which ex- probably says something. Exactly, yes. That is a very good point. We should have said that up front. Um, which relates to them all being the first two riffs, even if they have cool riffs after, right? Mm-hmm. Like... This guy busts out a really sick riff. Riff number three, holy shit, with the dropout, you know? You know, I can't quite, I can't quite even hum it. The sense of, but like, so he can, this is a glorious arc in melody, but they work like discharge songs in the way that like, yo, those three chords better be sick. And they better inherit each repetition better inherently set up the next repetition. And when you just catastrophically drop another five chord riff in there or whatever right after or four mm-hmm. chord riff, like that riff better just follow it, that riff better sound like a revelation. Yeah. Right? Um, well, I mean, part of part of the reason he's able to get away with it um, is mm-hmm. because there's really so much going on. In mm-hmm. the guitars, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pr- pretty much all the time through this record, it's very rare that both guitars are playing the same thing. It's basically like interlocking riffs. Nonstop. Honestly, honestly, man, I noticed that really for the first. I mean, I've I've noticed before that the rhythm guitar parts count for something here, but it mm-hmm. was really obvious on that first riff you picked. I hadn't really noticed it before. Well, yeah, because when I was trying to. Uh, I was trying to learn that at home, and it took me a while to realize, because I was thinking it was just kind of a convoluted single guitar thing. No, yeah, it has yeah, to be yeah. two guitars. It's impossible to play with one. And I think that there's actually, on that, that opening riff, I think there's a third guitar in there also. I think there's a third, too. But yeah, yeah. the two that you can most easily hear. Yeah, I, I'm also listening with, head, with like big, nice headphones now. And this is mm-hmm. one I've only either listened to on Buds. Probably listened to it almost entirely on Buds, and if not, just like blasted. Right. Um, yeah, no, this uh, this actually has a really nice production job when you have decent headphones. Yeah. No, the tone is great. Yeah, the tone is great. Uh, but like, so yeah, that's a cool head fake of a riff. He actually really understands something Satanic Warmaster does. Uh, some of the most significant, uh, like, sort of sophisticated Satanic Warmaster riffs. One, the lead guitar, one, the top guitar will be carrying the riff until halfway through the riff when the bottom guitar takes over. 
Mm -hmm. right? It's almost like you can't even say there's a lead and a rhythm. And so, sometimes there will be really basic power chord rhythm parts in a Satanic War Master song, but other times that lower part will really just become the core of the riff. Um, here, there's a head fake where... I mean, this is kind of like mass... Like, it's very, like... It's kind of showmanship in a certain way. He, like, calls your attention to that screaming, kind of oscillating, you know, our, uh, just dyad thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of like, uh, you know, uh, our one of our mutual favorite songs in this style, uh, Empire of Suffering, mm -hmm. by Sargeist, yeah. right? Or or almost like a more gothic, second-wavy version of a Migla riff, right? Or something. Yeah. Um, uh, he calls our attention to that, like, you know, that's a very stick-your-tongue-out-and-wag-a-back-and-forth riff, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, kiss-tongue. Um, he calls your attention to that, and yet as he's doing that, the real work is all being done by this just propulsive swelling, like at least three string rhythm part. Where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, like the riff that rises up under it is like, da, 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 da. And by the end of the phrase, that swell just sort of eats the, takes up more of the sonic space. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, it, after listening to this so many times, I've really come to the conclusion that, like, if you want to be serious, uh, like, about playing guitar and like writing melodic black metal, even if it's not in this niche, you gotta listen to the way this guy arranges things. Like it's just yeah. from a purely just technical and like educational perspective, he's just he's so far out in front of almost. Oh, I would else. say in terms of people who have totally mastered this style as it was streamlined by the Finns, mm -hmm. uh, like in the or who have carried it. And who have carried it further in ways that have their own personal styles. I would say this guy, Makwahedal, and, uh, you know, MK from Finn, or uh, Apparition. Yeah, right? yeah you know, it's like Apparition we were saying while the sample um, was playing, you know, the, the the heights of this record are basically the heights of Sargeist. Yes. You know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. we were saying as stuff. it was playing, it's like, yeah, that first riff just, like, is as good as Empire of Suffering. Mm-hmm, Yeah. So, uh, we sort of already said some things about this, uh, but um, basically, like, right, in a classic black metal song, right, you have what you could call, like, the attack riffs, right, on the show. Like, the, for the aggressive, propulsive riffs, maybe over a Slayer beat or a punk beat, maybe over just, like, ripping blasts or double bass, um, that come before whatever kind of grandiose melodic hook or strange harmony or just maybe more big idea happens after that right mm -hmm. sometimes those are a way of getting to the real thing of the song for this band as for every other band we're reviewing tonight the first two the attack sequence the first two riffs that alternate are the song there, there can be cool riffs after that but they're all like reacting and responding to that um and uh, so, uh, as you listen to this song, just think of, as you listen to Galgenvogel, which means something like, I don't know, Gallows Bird? Is Vogel, is Vogel Bird or Song? Uh, Vogel? Uh, yeah, I'm not Vogel. sure. It's mm. been a while. All right, we're, we're, we're going to find out. It's a short Google. Yeah, Gallows Bird. All right, so Raven. So you listen to the sixth song about a raven. Just think of a, think, think of a haughty black-cloaked knight going, uh, you must listen to four of this. Now you shall listen to four of that. Now back to this. <laughs> Only two of them. Ha ha! Ho ho! <laughs> Bang your head, surf! 
this just caused a terminus first. Um, <laughs> this is the first time I have ever gotten up out of my seat to play air guitar and headbang to a sample <laughs> of terminus. You're, you're right. These are, these are just hardcore songs, aren't they? These are just elongated hardcore songs. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's um, like they're. I, I never really thought about it in those terms, but literally all of these songs, I believe, are either ABAB or ABAC structures. Mm-hmm. There's usually not more than four or five riffs at a stretch in any of mm-hmm. these. Now the the riffs are very involved in and of themselves with the dual guitar stuff, but ultimately, yeah, often the riffs are quite long. Yeah, yeah, but really, what we're looking at mm-hmm. are just you know punk songs when you get down to it. And you can hear it really yeah. obviously there. Yeah, and you know, to some degree, you know, Dirty Secret is a lot of things like metalheads have kind of false, uh, I don't know, um, uh, um, you know, uh, to, to, borrow a, uh, to borrow a term from old Karl Marx, uh, metalheads have uh, co- uh, false contracts about the kind of thing they're doing sometimes like uh, <laughs> people people might think of like old emperor or old dark th- any of the classic second wave bands is having these sort of ambitious song structures or whatever that make them capital m metal right at least that would be the kind of like ana site or dmu perspective right yeah and like doubtless there is ambition doubtless there is majesty and a serious ear for all kinds of uh, art music, right? But like uh, those songs are A B A B C is the cool, right? <laughs> um, like that—that that is what they do. Um, the difference here is that um, A and B are the cool riff, and C—it's almost like if you get to a cool riff on C, that's just the bonus. Yeah, and and the C and D riffs are always just to get you back to the original sequence. Um, yeah, pretty is, much. Yes, the, the, yeah, and that's usually a bad thing in extreme metal. But yeah. these riffs are that good that you actually want to go back to them. I mean, the archetypal thing for this I, is just the there's always just like I am the Black Wizards, which is mm-hmm. um, just like sick. I mean, the point is the initial attack sequence is always way more important than people think it is. And you know, ironically, again, it's often people who don't. Th- people who think they don't listen for hooks who uh, ignore these parts of the songs uh, to get yeah. to the hook. But, right, like, well, no, yeah. I Am the Black Wizards builds to a massive hook, but before that it just has two to three alternating, like, discharge riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the it, I mean that's another song that is defined by a single riff. You know, I mean, the opening riff is that, that the entire song gestates from the opening riff. Mm-hmm. Of I Am the Black Wizards. And that's fine because it's one of the greatest riffs ever written in black metal. You're allowed to do that, mm-hmm. you know, if you mm-hmm. write a riff that good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so real quick, you know, we've been talking about guitars constantly, but after listening to this a shit ton, I think, uh, I think actually one of the really important parts of this record is the drum performance. Um, it's pretty understated. And, you know, a lot of what's going on, it doesn't sound, you know, it's not particularly arty, you know, it's, it's nothing you haven't heard in black metal before. But I do think that the drummer in this case has a, a subtle but really important role of kind of reacting to the melodic ideas of the riffs, kind of echoing mm-hmm. them just in little parts of the drum performance. And sometimes when they're on those extended kind of looping patterns, 
providing the variation that even if it's a great riff, maybe you'd get tired of it around six or seven, but he changes things up just enough to get you through eight, you know, and to, to make mm-hmm. that transition really punch. <laughs> um, so we're going to go to the back half of, tr- of a track called Der Heiler. Mm-hmm. And here you're going to hear some nothing fancy, nothing technical, but some really cool, very musical shifting drum textures across basically mm-hmm. an unchanging bed of two riffs. Interesting. All right. Yeah, so what he does there, uh, the drummer, against that final riff, it's nothing super flashy or technical, but it is interesting. You know, he keeps, uh, you know, he's starting with a beat, and then he inverts that to a different one through a fill in the middle of the riff, finishes out the riff on the beat, but then continues into the beginning of the riff, so he keeps inverting this beat pattern against the front end and back end of the riff over and over again. What um, time signature is that also? Is it the drums making it sound like it's a weird time signature? It sounds like uh, basically isorhythmic. Like, it, there well, are triplets that are making up the phrase, but the number of triplets seems to ch- be like... It's like some of the triplets aren't finished. It's like It's sort of It's like is it a one is it a pulsed one two three one two three one two kind of thing? 
Yeah, it, it's a uh, it's kind of like a. I always describe stuff like this as like kind of waltz time. You know, it's like people say. Yeah, I mean, mathematically, three, four, and six, eight are the same thing, but there's a difference when you're like playing with those time signatures a lot. Oh, and well, this is a very yeah. Maybe maybe it counts as if you counted at a slow yeah. If you counted at a slow three four, then they're playing around within space created there. Like yeah, subdividing. Yeah. Okay, this is very three four, and then the drums are the drums are giving you the illusion that it's shifting because it's going from that kind of double time beat to something a little bit more stately and back and forth, and it's cutting across both sides of the riff. So, but that's that's what shows you the mastery is they make you think there's so much more going on through these very simple but very elegantly applied techniques. Um, which wow. I mean, that same thing goes for the guitars throughout this whole record. You know, it's very simple ideas that are executed with mastery by people who know exactly what they want to accomplish. Oh, so that's a side of the band that I wanted to talk about, and that maybe brings us towards our last riff, which is that. Or our, la our last song, <laughs> Freudian Slip, right? Yeah, well, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's accurate with Tone Fuck. <laughs> yeah, although kind of what we're talking about here is that it's not just all riffs. I, you know, I said at the beginning the band is basically a guitarist, right? But as you point out, the closer you look, that's not entirely true. And one reason they get such goddamn mileage out of this style throughout the record is, say, these kinds of interventions by the drummer on the latter part of the record, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, it's we're six tracks in to a record that is, it's so rigorous, right? It is the just one homogenous chord material stretched and morphed over the entire record, which makes it like a hardcore record or makes it even like Hate Forest, kind of, in terms of just rigor, right? But, um, and like on the back, but this is not droning monolith music, right? So on the back end, we're on track six, and what do they do? Well, they just change the chord on this this one that Death Metal Guy just sampled, right? Well, okay, now the chords here are a little darker, the harmonies are a little more complex, the rhythms are a little more convoluted, and then it opens up, and then the big glorious part on the back end, instead of being some driving 4-4 four, four, or 6-8 thing, has this sort of lovely flowing rhythm to it. And they're working completely within the same parameters, but still finding variation there and keeping the record interesting front to back. Um, yeah, they're they're just so and, deeply inside this style. They see potentials within it that a yeah. lot of people would overlook. Oh, that's for sure true, and that's a great example of like, I mean, that last thing is a great example of how, how not to write a grid written melody or rhythm, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's like it literally even we go from a record that's entirely about catastrophic cataclysmic drops from one riff to the next. Um, mm -hmm. To suddenly, it's like, oh, whoops, we're just going to spill seamlessly from the end of one riff into this new one. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like when that, when, that, when that waltz thing enters, it enters almost in the middle of another riff. Um, yeah, it doesn't draw attention to itself. It just, it just yeah. emerges very naturally. So this is why this band is so good, is that we've been talking about it the whole time, like they're doing this kind of like a gloriously obvious bang-your-heads motherfucker stuff. These guys are slumming it. Yeah. Extremely slumming it. Um, the point is that the frameworks they've chosen are... The frameworks they've chosen are those of a certain kind of poppy black metal style. They're doing it not as a crutch or as a... Uh, not as a crutch. 
they're doing it as a as a discipline right this music is as you say in some way very sugary that is every riff just gratifies in this very immediate way but it's kind of like um so in a way it's kind of hedonistic but it's like ascetic hedonism it's like they're reining themselves in in order to make these songs um, I'm I'm having my my one feast day after my three years on the crusade. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And where there's also just very disciplined about hedonism. It's like you know doing more push-ups so you can feast more. What is it? What is it? <laughs> what what was it that famine said? Um, I lift, I I, uh, I lift weight two hours a day so I can have twice the booze and twice the pleasure. <laughs> I like that. That's that's yeah. a good energy. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is is sort of uh, yeah, hed- ascetic hedonism. Um, and what goes with that restraint, right, is that um, one reason like the melodies are so damn good is that they actually have all this depth of they have the necessity of Gorgor. You know, this guy has not quite infernus level, but he has infernus type ear for classical stuff. And mm-hmm. here for total necessity and melody, uh, and they're hiding it. And there's, I want to play uh, my the last sample really gets to that. Um, yeah, this this one is like you get to the very end of the album, and they're like, oh, well, you know, we can also do this if we feel like it, but you know, well, we like what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the punchline, right? So it's like they are. The, the punchline is like, okay, yeah, so that was a pretty pretty cool banging record, right? Um, uh, but, um, hey, want to make a whole song that's like the biggest moment on a DSO record? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, guys? Let's bang it out. <laughs> yeah, this, this riff is like, I, I snatched this sample on the thing before you got it because I love it so much. Mm. Oh, I, like, I thought about it. No, I, I figured you were going to take Gloria. Because I'm taking yeah. Ertile Meter Gang, so you get Gloria, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 fair. Dude, this is this is just eyes roll back in the head. This is just, like...
Man, fuck playing guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I quit. I'm done. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like, yeah. So this is um. Th- that's just <laughs> that's so cool, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's like that. It, like, I don't know. There, I really couldn't. I mean, sure, the ambitious arrangements, the build-ups, the con, the sort of, the there's okay, yada, yada, yada. But in terms of, like, being a sick riff that has just depth and soaring passion, yeah, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to understand how that's different from the best riffs on C Monumentum. I mean, it's, right? I mean this reaches right back to, like, Gorgoroth's Antichrist to me. I mean, I think yeah. that's... I think that's one of the most important things you've kind of like pushed on the show, which is that the root of this whole style really is Gorgoroth. And I'd never thought yeah. about it in those terms, but I think you're completely on yeah. the money. And, you know, now we've kind of traced this thread from Gorgoroth into uh, like weird French and Scandinavian stuff like Hirolorn and Take, and then mm-hmm. that spills into kind of the nowadays French and Finnish styles. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. this. But it and it, is also fundamental is, for DSO. Yeah, but the seed of it is Infernus all the way back. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I mentioned Infernus before. Yeah, I'm hearing that more and more as we go through it today. And it's like, I mean, these are on this track; those are Infernus level riffs. Um, hmm. Arrangement: the Infernus arrangements would be tighter. Like he wouldn't have repeated that last stompy one eight times. Um, uh, you know, but and maybe, maybe there'd be more internal have. variation. No, I, I mean, listening to that again still, I'm like, why does this go eight times? But I'm also impressed that they can survive that. Like, yeah. the song survives <laughs> that. And more than that, uh, listening again, I hear the way these different meshing guitar parts, they all seem to be one guitar part, actually change over the eight reps and sort of justify sticking around. Like... Uh, like, um, you know, there's sort of propulsive rhythmic ideas with how Infernus writes songs, right, that are kind of missing the way this record is formatted. But, like, the ear is just, like, the ear is so good. And he's hearing similar things in Baroque and classical music to what Infernus is listening to, and he's fully hearing how Infernus writes songs. I mean, these are also a lot like the riff to... Those sorts of more sinister riffs that are on uh, under the sign, like stuff like this, like he, he like the riff to, right. This song has kind of some of that energy. No, you're exactly right. Uh, you know the, and it's like we were saying at the front. This is the one where they pull out all the stops where. It's not just like looping A-B stuff. It is this continuous progression, this linear sequence of incredible riffs. Um, And then even within those repetitions, you have this constant variation, this this constant, very classical, you know, playing with these stem melodies. It's, Mm -hmm. It's so sophisticated, and it is almost like a joke at the end of the album being like, yeah, this whole time... You thought this was just, like, goofy punk black stuff, but really, we had this in the bag from the start. (laughs) Yes, I mean, it's so confident. Um, The, uh, and, 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at the song titles also, I've translated those from German at, at various times and um, and looked at the lyrics a little bit. And it, I think the basic plot is kingdom undermined by band of hooded occultists who are attempting to summon the devil and eventually succeed. Right? <laughs> so, or summon the Antichrist. And so this last song is, you know, like manifest, you know, uh, you know, evil manifest in its radiant glory or whatever, right? Um, but the, uh, so in terms of this band actually being really highbrow secretly, um, there's a whole other direction they could have taken. And I kind of hope on some future album at some point they do after they become the biggest stadium black metal band in the world, maybe. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, but like, cause clearly they're on a mission. Um, but like, um, if you go back to their split, the where I discovered them was on their split with Maverim. Um, and there's this record, Verbranta Erd, uh, which just means German has a lot of words for burning and a lot of words for intensified, intensifiers. So there are like multiple <laughs> German words for to burn the fuck out of. Um, and, <laughs> and Verbranta's one of them. Uh, it's, um, and so yeah, really fucking burnt earth. Um, and, uh, the their first kind their second track on this treacherous sorcery is just like a fucking satanic warmaster ripper but um the first one it's sober sauberung um is just oh i mean like basically as an individual song just a work of genius it's something like what drudk would sound if its mood was profoundly german it's just like it's all played. The guitar is actually more paired back than on this record. It's based real. I think Sauberung is mostly two string chords. Very just classic Franco Finnish stuff. Um, the tone is a lot thinner, but in a way that draws attention more to just, you know, it gives it more of that cold sound, draws more attention to harmony, and it makes it more about the grace of the melody. Uh, and it's just this um, rolling rolling trimmed six eight thing that just glides sublimely uh and has these aching powerful melodies that change organically it's like hearing um you know it really is like late romantic symphony stuff um it it fulfills one of those songs that fulfills black metal's grandiose ambitions for itself uh and I just want to tell everyone that song fucking rules. I chose it as I said fucking a lot. Um, chose uh, I chose it as the interlude for this show. You should check it out. It's it's just a it's it's awesome. And they re-recorded it, but the re-recording is with the beefy guitar style that's on this record, and so it's not as good. Go back and listen <laughs> to that original recording. This is a little one gash, and you listen to Terminus. All right, and we are back from standing up in uh, unholy worship as we listened to our samples of Totenvach to tell you about something uh, equally banging, which is Edge of the Wild by the Russian stenchcore band Fatum. Uh, this record, as is customary for anything from the crust scene, came out on four record labels. The band camp is done by the Australian label Black Against Night, who also did some very nice LPs uh, on there that are available on their regular site, not their band camp. 
Then it was put out, there's some different editions by Zaynin Records in Russia, Head Noise Records in Russia, some label called Voice From Inside. Um, and, uh, you know, presumably a, um, you know, presumably like a ton more labels. Put out versions <laughs> of this uh, probably another six have done floppy disk versions. In yeah. you know former Yugoslavia or something. No, it's um yeah the uh, I wonder yeah I wonder what the crust punk ethics on bootlegs are because you know um, <laughs> it's like I mean that's a well I always like I always like when people talk about bootlegs in the metal scene or you know the crust scene or anything it's like no we we release a hundred copies because that's as many people that want it in the world you know <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, here's a rec. Another, you know, in keeping with tonight's theme, if you're just joining us, uh, we are just, you know, it's been a drought for new releases, so we are listening to stuff that we've really liked from the last couple of years and wanted to talk about. Uh, this case, um, Edge of the Wild was, I think, a 2019, late 2018. Um, let's, let me double check that. That would have been a helpful thing to put in the notes. Um, but uh, duh, 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 duh. Um, yeah, that was 2018. I think I probably found it in 2019. Um, and this is, we talk on the show, I always, I always talk on the show about how, uh, on average, a band with Celtic font in the art, no matter the genre, right? There's several kinds of genres that have Celtic font in the art. On average, it's almost always better than a band with Gothic font. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like, Burz, you know, the, the Burzum records aside, right? Those sort of all... You know, those set the gothic font tone. But there's a whole kind of Celtic font, Celtic knot, um, uh, just sort of, or kind of aesthetic, sort of different from the Viking or knight thing. More like uh, just, tro like you know, totally gorked Celtic barbarian aesthetic that passes through... Uh, passes from amoebics and deviated instinct into the stench core scene, uh, into things like sacrilege and bolt thrower indirectly, especially the early bolt. I mean, just like the first bolt thrower record, kind of. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in ba uh, in battle, there is no law. Um, and it also manifests kind of independently, although there's some cross dot clearly and stuff like you know primordial and semaine and early graveland and. Uh, uh, this other complex of bands that I'm also very interested in and that superficially sound very different. But, like, so this is just a Celtic not stenchcore band. And is it fucking sick? The answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I have some ideas about why this is, you know, like, this, that is a style. I've taught, mentioned it enough on this show that a lot of people probably know what I mean now. What I'm referring to is... Crust punk based specifically on the origin on Amoebics, Deviated Instinct, and a couple other uh, significantly lesser bands, uh, uh, Hell Bastard and Axe Grinder, um, are really not as good. Um, but um, although I think some of the Celtic not aesthetic is really on the Axe Grinder record, uh, but um, but it's a. Uh, you know what? I've got a manically dripping faucet behind me that is driving me crazy. <laughs> I was going to uh, ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, it's probably driving our listeners crazy too. No, it's actually a drip of it's actually a drip from a stream that's coming down into my cell. 
um, in the dungeons. <laughs> so let me go turn that off and kill a rat. I'll be right back. Uh, Death Metal Guy, tell him what you think about this. He always does this, but he doesn't have wireless headphones, so it's like he's not going to know. At one point, I'm actually going to do it, and then, you know, he'll come back, and I'll just be like, yeah, you know what I mean? And he's just going to agree, sight unseen, I think. All right, well, uh, the rat actually did an embarrassing amount of damage to me before I took it out. <laughs> it was a dire rat, you know? You swing torch, dire in swing front torch, of swing torch, swing torch, <laughs> kick, swing torch. Um, oh, geez, I'm playing Pillars of Eternity right now. I get enough of that already. Um, <clears throat> so you've brought a few. So the, before we started doing the show, I had this like vague notion of stench core being a thing, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know anything about it. And then, you know, because you come from way more of that punk background than I do. Mm-hmm. Um and you've brought a few things onto the show that you described in that manner. I've, I've kind of liked all of it, but this is the one that's really stood apart as far as modern stuff goes. And I, I think... I, I would agree. This is a really good record. But I'm glad you like it, dude. Good. Yeah. No, I, I like this one because it... Um, the, the problem with a lot of the other stench stuff is that it always feels proximal to something else. It's like, oh, this is kind of like a stenchy death metal record, or oh, this is like a, a stenchy crust thing. It's, you know, it, it's whatever. It's always proximal to something else. And mm-hmm. Stenchcore, at least as far as I understand it, is one of those, like, kind of contested things in terms of nomenclature. It's like, was this is this like a full thing, or is it just kind of like a term of art, so to speak? Yeah. Fodham here makes a really compelling argument for it being a genre unto itself. Because mm. um, there's there's a dozen things I can compare this to, both on metal and punk mm. sides, but ultimately it sounds more like itself. It sounds more like stenchcore mm. than it does heavy metal or crust punk. You know what I mean? I think that's, yeah, I think that's well said and very interesting. I hadn't quite thought of it that way, but I think I've found a different way of getting at that. Uh, it's, um, so yeah, the stench thing, I mean, really it just is, there is a certain set, small set, which I would almost define as, you know, point being other people associate it with more, you know, like other people give importance to Axe Grinder and Hellbastard. I think they're bad. Um, like, I, you know, to me, it's almost two bands, Amoebics and Deviated Instinct. And ta- and those bands have a distinct sound that almost none of their imitators get, right? Like, I've talked in the show about how, like, Storm, there's the Storm Crows of the world, and there are Japanese bands that try to clone them and blah, blah, blah. But almost nobody gets it. Stenchcore is really about trying to nail that particular sound and carry it forward in a somewhat gruesome way. Like, I would say In Battle There Is No Law is a stench record. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's a very fast stench record. Um, But yeah, in terms of stuff that's come on the show, or even in terms of that, right, but it's also a death metal record. You could also say it's a grind record. So basically, after those foundational bands that focus on this stuff where mid-tempo and slow chug riffs are the centerpiece of the song, right? They're not a complement to anything, right? That's the central ingredient. Uh, um, After those couple bands, it really does become this kind of blurred liminal term. Uh, 
A band that, I think, the last band to really hit it out of the park like this was Sanctum. Mm, okay, yeah. We've talked you know about what I Sanctum mean? on the show. Yeah, we like yeah. Sanctum. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, 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 th- I see what you mean. This is very distinctly stench. Um, it sounds very different from the... There's a whole genre of thing, kind of like Stormcrow and like some of these other... A ton of the early 2000s where in varying ratios there are D-beats blended with stenchy stuff. Mm-hmm. And those almost always have a neither here nor thereness to them. Where the uh, either it's a D-beat band that has some slow stuff, and the slow stuff is um, sort of stench riffs used like breakdowns, but then they don't really work as breakdowns, or just used as pointless intros or outros to tracks mm-hmm. or the album. Uh, or you've got a band that's trying generally for a heavier, chuggier sound, but um, often sounds like, I don't know, like kind of boring and doomy, or then like then the oh, crust yeah. riffs are bad. You had that whole you know? doom crust thing that was going on. You know, people. Oh trying man, to yeah, that band Mourn. That band Mourn, M O R N E, was like one of the most disappointing super oh, I don't know of all that time. At all. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But yeah, well, so like point they, being, they, they got the idea that Winter was like a bunch of peace punk kids who happened to really like doom and death metal, and they mm-hmm. thought they could do the same thing, but they didn't realize those guys were geniuses. Also, so. mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so like, so yeah, I, I see what you mean that this band really nail it, and they do it in somewhat unexpected ways. I think this is very unique sounding. Um, uh, and I think I'll get to my theory at the end because it follows from the samples. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that really sets it apart is that this is very fast, but it's not in, in places. But or they're very good at making kind of upper mid tempo or lower fast tempo things sound extraordinarily ripping. Um, and it's central to the music, like a full 50% of the riffs, but it is not fast in the way that crusty D-beat or, uh, you know, uh, related styles are. It's fast in a pretty significantly different way. It's um, not frantic. So, but I want to... S- no, not at all. It's very assured, and it's driven by a different set of beats. Um... It's driven by rolling turbocharged motorhead double ba- double pedal bass that is also, in some sense, bolt thrower double pedal bass turned into one-two punk beats or doing the things you'd have D-beats doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it, you know, like the default fast riff is like, fast beat is like the overkill beat. Um, but anyway, so... I, I You know, we've talked a bit like about, uh, on the Totenvac, we t- I talked about like a bad part important for understanding the record as the whole i'm gonna start with um a bad part um this is the <laughs> one like with the totenvac this is the one thing that i would think like kind of is a musical mids- misstep on this record and um we will learn a lot from it and once you come to love this record like you'll listen to it again to be like haha this part's sick um so uh th- so uh oh yeah yeah actually yeah, let's start with um, Edge of the Wild. Um, first track, and we're a minute 30 in, and it does something very weird to do in a first track. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> well, that's... I think I know what happened, but I'll get to my theory about it a little bit later on a sample that's kind of relevant. Yeah, so... um what happened musically is that this is a long song and two and two minutes in we're riding one of those just ripping double bass grooves there are a couple different riffs over those couple variants on that beat you can hear the colossal drum sound that powers the whole of this record i mean the bass drum is just i mean i'll talk about it more but the bass drum is one of the stars of the show uh and you're you're just ripping right along and having a great time, and you're waiting for like some massive uh, stench breakdown, some prophecy of doom type thing where you can just do the jump the fuck up dance in your cargos and you know wave your <laughs> dreadlocks around, right? Um, and then we just like huh, slow down, and it slows down in exactly the wrong tempo. It's a complete. It's it's not like a breakdown. It's not like a doom part. It's it's like it's it's not really clear what this is doing. We slow down to a very slow kind of heavy metal boogie groove and just start strutting ahead. And they drag it out for like over a minute. Like, what's going on? Well, they stuck somebody else's song in the middle of their song. Um, <laughs> and we all know what that song is. So let's go. Let's belabor the obvious. You're right, man. <laughs> it's it's not even, you know, as you would say, uh, they're the same picture. Yeah, it's, it's, that's pretty shameless. I, I, I kind of respect it more for how shameless it is. <laughs> no, that's the point. Like, it's clearly a musical joke. Strange song. It does, I would say, it undermines the song as far as a singular momentum ripping through. But, like, <laughs> once you... And I could, the reason I'm highlighting it in part is if someone checks this out and listens to the first track and gets to this part, they might just stop, right? Yeah. Um, it, idly clicking through shit on the internet, you know? Um, so I want to bring it up because the point is, this is an uncharacteristic thing on the record. It's a very odd thing to do on the first track of an album. Um, but once you've listened to the rest of the thing through and you realize that it just crushes every time you listen to this after it becomes funnier and funnier like in a sort of like like you're in on the joke thing to the point where you start to hear it as like nme level retarded genius yeah, it's like you said you, like, you eagerly look forward to the part that sucks you know actually <laughs> so um so here's here's something about that i think can bounce off of what you were saying about 
recognizing stench as having the potential breadth for a full genre. That's that's where your idea connects to mine. It's like they see a range of stylistic stuff that happens on this stench spectrum that doesn't neatly line up with the punk or metal, is it punk, is it metal axis, um, doesn't neatly line up with other genres, um, and they find in it for a whole genre, for a sort of fertile style of its own, because they move to either side of Amoebics and Deviated Instinct, stylistically mm. and chronologically. So, on the one hand, they do something that's become fairly common, which is they link it to Bolt Thrower. I mean, I think it's understood. Um, you know, Sanctum were the first to really make that explicit. I think it's now understood. Like, just like Bathory and Venom are... Uh, Bathory, Venom, and Hellhammer are all sort of like like grandfathered in as crust bands. Basically, they're mm. like, you know, canonical crust bands now. Um, uh, Bolt Thrower has been grandfathered in as well. Um so a lot of those rolling double bass grooves you'll hear even more so on the rest of our samples. Um, a lot of the breakdowny ideas, uh, just the kind, certain kind of like a surprising precision in the plane, mm -hmm. uh, all very bolt thrower. Um, however, so they carry it towards death metal, and then they are doing something else at the same time. They're moving in two directions at once. Um, they're also moving backwards to what influenced the original stench bands, to influences that were so fundamental to them, like they just took it for granted, right? Um, yeah. And those bands, I mean, uh, they'll talk about those influences in interviews, but they're not the ones anyone ever associates with them. So if you want to think about the cool guy reference points for influences for Amoebics or Deviated or something, especially right would be it's now common knowledge although it was not 10 years ago it's now common knowledge that killing joke was huge for them right mm, and so you'll yeah. get crusty bands that sound kind of like amoebics and killing joke they're almost always bad um <laughs> crusty takes on goth usually fail horribly um and it it's it's an it's a nice gesture it's an interesting idea but they usually don't get it usually doesn't work um so you can expected like this sort of killing joke type stuff but amoebics were also listening to like 70s heavy metal and hard rock like uh even like prog rock and shit and this record is just cut through by like blues like blues melody ideas which are in the early stench records are in early crust records um and uh like a very brutal take on blues, you know, blue maximally maximally dissonant tritone blues, uh, Ace of Spades or whatever, uh, and and sh so it's like shit like Venom becomes illicit influence, shit like ACDC becomes allowed, uh, Led Zeppelin, the lead soloing on this, the lead guitarist is insanely good, and the soloing on this is not new wave of British heavy metal, it's not um. It's not thrash or primitive death metal or whatever. It it's the soloing is like Led Zeppelin. It's kind mm -hmm. of supple musical, uh, sort of dazzling lead stuff. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I I think that you are onto something with the idea of these kind of presupposed influences. You know, mm -hmm. because you know, one thing I always talk about with the stench guys is that they 
they tend to always sound more like Metallica than they should. Like Kill 'Em All era Metallica. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I kind of picked up on this record is some like really early Megadeth stuff in some of the more complex riffs, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but in general, an array of pre-86 thrash stuff. Yeah. Where it was, where it was a budding um, punk and NWOBHM a lot more than it ultimately would when it kind of broke off around 85, 86. Well, so I actually, yeah, so that's absolutely true. We were talking about that on the um, on the Discord, actually. Like, the idea that, like, there's a certain art to hearing Metallica as a valid influence on extreme music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's in the more extreme parts of Amoebics. It's in the more extreme parts of Bolt Thrower. It's like the what if we just focused on the really crushing chug riffs, which are Metallica's unique technological contribution, right? Angel Witch had done those kinds of riffs sort of before... Discharge had written Protest and Survive. Uh, Killing Joke had written The Weight. But as far as, like, percussive, like, 16th note, uh, devastating chug riffs, that really is Metallica's innovation, right? Mm-hmm. They just surround them with all this crap. Um, and so, you know, the uh, the, the deliberate uh, musical ineptitude of Crust allows them to distill it down to that. Um, but... So that's one thing, is hearing Metallica and maybe early Megadeth or whatever as extreme metal. But this band is also picking up all the rock and rollisms that went with it. Like, this band is also picking up, like, Jump in the Fire. Yeah, well, I think um, all that really comes from Motorhead, ultimately. Yeah, but again, they're hearing a more complete version of Motorhead. They're hearing Motorhead and Venom and Metallica as Rob and Stig would have heard them. Mm-hmm. And as something genuinely and heavy and genuinely aggressive. As something genuinely heavy and extreme and aggressive, and also as indistinguishable in important ways from rock and roll. Yeah. Like, it's all happening at once. Whereas there's a crust... Pun- right, Motorhead is also godfathered in as a crust band. Okay, but what does a crusty hear when he hears Venom or Motorhead? Well, you hear the Ace of Spades riff, basically, right? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe a few other related things. Um uh, if you hear Venom again, right, you hear sort of the most dissonant riff, maybe the chorus on Welcome to Hell, uh, the da-da-da-da, which you can hear Hellheimer picking up on, you know, or you, you get um, you know, some of the primitive thrashing riffs on Venom, right? Uh, like, it it flattens all these... It The crusty thing is, you know, in part, it's sympathetic. It's like, okay, we don't want to be... You know, this reaction against cock rock is fundamental to black metal and death metal, too. And they took it from punk, right? So it makes sense that the Krusties sort of, like, turn away from, like, an important part of the DNA of this music. But these guys don't. And that way they get a fuller sense of all those bands, both in their rockishness and their extremity. Mm-hmm. So do you want to play some more stuff? <laughs> um... Well, now that we've, uh, I mean, now that we've uh, completely schematized the band in the abstract, why even bother? <laughs> now um, that the review's uh, over, we should play the rest of these samples. <laughs> well, that was the big idea. I was saving it for the end, but we, we got it done at the front. Yeah, okay, so here's just a fucking, why don't you, why don't you play one of your samples that talks to this? Uh, okay, um, sure. So, we'll listen to a song called Life Lost, and, uh... Mm-hmm. 
after this, I'll talk a little bit, at least from my perspective, you know, without the kind of historical punk knowledge that you have, like, where I start to see stenchcore intersect with metal and where I think the metallic influence really bears out in this style. Mm-hmm. something you smell but i appreciate your enthusiasm <laughs> um so that is that's one of the most metallic songs on this record um mm-hmm. and when i landed on this one this one's really interesting to me because like, at first blush you can listen to that and just be like oh it's it's like a thrash song but then you listen closely to the riffs like the the opening riff is like oh that's kind of a slayer thing but then you listen and it's like no it's like it's two chords it's dunna dunna and then dunna dunna with the the wrap around of that little like high guitar flurry. Yeah. So it's not it's not a yeah it's not a Slayer riff. It's the shape of a Slayer riff. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's like guys listening to him be like, oh, they do some low stuff, and then at the end of it, they do something high and like kind of dissonant. Mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. like they're like the the root of the riff is like a discharge riff. It's mm-hmm. not yeah. actually thrash metal, but it has the shape of a thrash metal riff. And then you get into that kind of that mid-paced break in the middle of the track, and that's kind of like an old Iron Maiden thing, but again, melodically has nothing to do with actual NWOBHM. So I think that what we're hearing is in something Well, Amoebix does that, but okay, here it sounds way like... It's kind of splitting the difference between a certain kind of amoebix riff, um, like on Darkest Hour or something. And, yeah, I hear what you mean. You're thinking of, like, End of Power Slave or something, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Or even, like, some Mm -hmm. of the the really early stuff off, like, the self-titled or Killers. I mean, obviously, Iron Maiden never had the double kicks, but they had the same effect going on. No, I I hear what you mean. Yeah, it's like fast walking baseline stuff. Um... Mm-hmm. So I think that what's happening here is kind of like what you talk about with like the uh, the Japanese metal punk bands listening to Discharge mm-hmm. and they mostly hear guitar tone and abrasion. I feel like Stenchcore mm-hmm. listens to heavy metal and they they get the shape of riffs, but they don't see the actual melodic content of them as that essential to the overall effect. You know, it's a it's a very different kind of riff writing. You know, it, and you can you can kind of hear that maybe in, like, early Napalm Death. You know, it's like, the individual chords don't matter that much, but it's like, low chord, low chord, high chord, low chord, high chord. You know, it's 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 more based off that than specific notation. What if I told you that's just how uh, Iron Maiden sounds to me? I should have tried to blow, I should have tried to you the whole time and it would just become clear that I had always heavy metal as sounding like that and I would just gradually <laughs> become broken hearted and confused as I realized it involved more than two notes um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that would be a like, good bit yeah. sorry, sorry death metal guy it's been a good show um, but, uh, <laughs> it's uh, like <laughs> wait so I don't tune my guitar by making all the pegs like face the same direction shit <laughs> well see ya I'm off to go drink 40s by the tracks um, but um, <laughs> this is yeah I hear what you mean I hear what you mean they are hearing very different things in metal I mean that's kind of related to the idea of hearing Metallica and just cutting all the wank and just taking the chug riffs right well th- uh, that being said th- this, is, this whole thing isn't to suggest these guys aren't listening to metal as metalheads these guys are clearly as much metalheads as they are punks it's just it's too it's too clear and the the playing is just too sharp and sophisticated like they're not seeing it from the outside yeah they're definitely seeing it from within that's that's a good qualification yeah but they know that to make stench it involves this sort of simplification and uh Simple focus on certain elemental heaviosity aspects of heavy metal. One of those is the chug, right? So mm-hmm. this track is actually driven by D beats without double bass. However, when it's like when the guitarist is playing slashing D beat style rhythms with a power chords, the double bass is rolling. When mm-hmm. the guitarist is when the double bass drops out and we get D beats, the guitarist is just doing rolling palm muted chugs sixteenths. So, um, 
it keeps up throughout this sort of um, Motorhead Metallica ripping uh, ripping subdivided sixteenth vibes, subdivided sixteenths against syncopated drums, or mm. or vice versa, uh, and that makes it really different from a lot of um, just fast crusty stuff where if there are thrash if there are palm mutes used in a d-beat type riff they're usually extremely superficial this is like this you get the full density of a shit ton of notes packed into a small amount of time Mm -hmm. so um and also you know i I thought that was you opening the next sample (laughs) oh god uh, well, I'm I'm kind of I've 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 had a few beers, guys. Um, uh, well, I, there's not that much to say about the next sample. The next sample is the beginning of the second track, and this is where when I got to it, I was like, oh, this album kills. Like I wanted them to do something classically stenchy and extremely ignorant, and uh, this is Death Holder. So I noticed for the first death metal guy noticed as we were listening to that the second vocal ad lib after he says death holder, he appears to just say crust. (laughs) What the? (laughs) Yeah, man, go for it. Fuck it. (laughs) The, The vocal performance on this record is one of the thing that makes it as far as like puke vocals, the classic puke vocal, this guy has it and not just with the sort of like he has the sort of retching on the and vocals on uh deviated instinct but like 
also just the monstrous cavernous uh, body in the low end deviated instinct vocals. Uh, it just shit and awful. And there's tone in it. Um, you can hear the tone in the in, in in all of the vocals. Not singing quite, but you can directly trace them back to the bellowing that Rob does in Amoebics or the uh, or to Lemmy. Yeah, I was gonna say Lemmy definitely as a touchstone mm-hmm. for that. And he's and he can he can actually. It's not a uniform. It's not a uniform death growl. Even though there's death growl type, he is able to shape his vocals pretty freely per phrase. And yeah, he just comes up with all these hilarious, awesome ad libs throughout. I have to say, <laughs> at the end of the song, when you know, obviously the highlight of the song is just the fucking uh, just the halftime bouncing breakdown. It just drops into at the beginning. Uh, you know and when it does that at the end again he just yells screw you death holder <laughs> it's such a european thing to do <laughs> like, like the europeans yeah. you know aren't exactly sure what the most offensive thing is so they just pick one at random <laughs> <laughs> well so to uh, to kind of wrap up the samples, uh, I want to go to the darkest night, which might be my favorite track on the record. Um, mm-hmm. And this is gonna be you know the back part of the song. And just as an intro, I'll just say, Bolt Thrower as a kind of chuggy like old school power metal meets thrash band. Yeah, I I, I can get along with that.
the stench guys love ending songs like that so much you know like i've got i've got theories of it being sort of like a a held over like punk parody of heavy metal thing you know that <laughs> uh you know kind of resenting the kind of like maximalist you know arrogant approach and then it just became kind of conventionalized i th- mockery of heavy metal is definitely a feature of some wings of punk metal um mm-hmm. i think not so much in stench it's very earnest music uh it's that's one thing that makes it maybe superior to a lot of other punk metal hybrids um mm-hmm. Uh, what it is though, what related to what you're saying though, is, is it is kind of an outside in perspective on like, if we're going to play metal, let's make it metal. Right. Yeah. So a a thing, you know, that's how you got bands like the original metal punk bands, like ones are like English dogs or something just started like learning maiden riffs and just started to sound like new wave of British heavy metal bands to some degree. Uh, and, um, so I think I so I think it's I think you're on to something in that it's like whether whether it's the whether it's the you know the cock rock guitar solos or the or the extreme thrash metal chugs or whatever it's they're really drawing out certain kinds of really out there aspects of the primitive extreme metal that they like and uh things that all make it that you could only get from metal not from punk and driving those like to the max and in kind of like primitive form.
All right, we are back with Internal Rot's Grieving Birth out on Iron Lung Records, Head Split Records, Blast as Fuck Grindcore, 625 Thrashcore, and probably another eight labels that I'm just not aware of. Uh, as well as Peaceville, Candlelight, Earache, Prosthetic, uh, <laughs> Seasons of Mist, Nuclear, Nuclear Blast, Blast Century Media, <laughs> Atlantic, Epitaph, you know? <laughs> Victory Records. Jesus Christ, man. Um, yeah, so Internal Rot from Australia. Uh, I, like I said, I discovered this record last year after we had started the show, and uh, I wasn't familiar with these guys, and this is their second full-length record. They've been around for a bit, since about 2010. Um, just, like, milling around the Aussie grind scene. But as soon as I heard this record, I was super hooked. Like, um... <clears throat> To describe it, so we've got different terms for this thing nowadays. Like, if, you, if you're a certain kind of person, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that up to your imagination. Uh, you would call this mincecore, um, like the guys from Agathocles used to. And then a bunch of random kids in America and Canada started calling their stuff mincecore. I don't know why. Whatever. It's, an, it's, it's not a term that means anything musically. If it has any musical meaning, I would associate it with, like, sort of uh, deliberately kind of knuckle-dragging skank parts. Like, dong, dong, ding, dong. You know, dong, 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 Yeah, it's like... Well, I mean, Agathocles used it originally to say, we're kind of like a gore-sounding grindcore band, but our lyrics and our whole thematics are still completely political. You know, it was... It was... How do we... How do we do kind of gory or like death metal influenced grindcore but still very within the punk scene um got it now i prefer the term that a lot of people were using in the in the 2000s which was grind gore you know it's it's gory it's got a lot of death metal in it but it's still grindcore song structures and it still has a lot of that punk energy um okay and that is what internal rot's all about uh you know the the, the fundamental basis of this music is very authentic and very traditional grindcore, but with just enough kind of death metal and extreme metal influence to really spice it up and give new life to these songs. Um, I, I mean, pretty much everything you're going to hear tonight is stuff that you're going to expect. You're going to hear a lot of blast beats, a lot of D beats, a lot of screeching vocals, and a lot of really cool dynamic riffs that nonetheless still have a ton to do with discharge and napalm death um and i think you like this one too right yeah dude this is sick i mean i've you know i've seen this around a lot uh you know it's got a memorable cover right what are what what you know what a way to package grindcore for people who might not normally listen to it especially gory stuff right just smack a pretty face on the cover um, and I think it's and, I think uh, it's literally a photo of a VHS copy. I think that girl is from one of the early Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth movies, possibly mm. a Giallo film. I'm not sure. One of those things. Some I, I actually scrolled down. I figured in the YouTube comments, someone say someone would say who is the girl, and <laughs> someone answered it's from a movie, more recent movie called Red called like Riding Hood, 1974. Oh, okay. I, I could that, that person that's just somebody in the YouTube comments, man. So uh I don't know. I'm sure there's an interview somewhere. 
But, you know, it's it's presumably it's from a horror movie, right? But clever. Okay, you know, you just zoom in on the face and we can all, ass- you know, horrible shit will ensue in some way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like I like even the title. You got that like slanted '70s font there. That's that's cool. It's a good image. Yeah. So t- you know, so like sets itself apart um, aesthetically, musically. Uh, I think I just fe- I had some instinct that it was probably good. Musically, maybe just people I like on Bandcamp bought it. Um, uh, but like, yeah, this is good. Uh, it's um. It's kind of like what I want grindcore to sound like. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it, you know, some of the grindcore is just sort of too much like blasty crust punk for me to particularly care because I've got my crust punk bands and mm-hmm. I, I don't really need the blasts. I mean, some of those bands are good, but just like, I'm just never going to reach for that stuff. Um, on the gory side, a lot of those ba- there are some cool knuckle dragging chunk riff ideas and and some very some interesting sinister you know gut slapping leads and shit that I do find musically kind of cool, but thematically and aesthetically it's never going to particularly draw me. That's not really stuff I want to spend time around. This mm-hmm. band kind of um, this band nails it in that like they've got the song titles are all like they're a little bit horror, a little bit funny. But like all kind of cool too. They're <laughs> yeah. not like jokes. They're not joke song titles. They're just kind of cool in the way that like nasty, cynical, funny, like hardcore would be, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and, think it, I think what you're really touching on is that this but, is very authentically a part of the Australian grindcore scene, which is a uh, a really long running and really deep scene. But not a lot of people know about it. And I think people knew about it a lot more back in the 2000s, kind of when we were coming up. Bands like, um, the, I mean, the legendary old school, like, house grind band of Australia is Captain Cleanoff. Um, and then <laughs> That's you, already a funny name. <laughs> Captain Cleanoff are cool. Um, and then you get into the 2000s, like late 90s, 2000s, you start getting stuff like The Kill or uh, Fuck I'm Dead. And, I remember uh, The Kill. With, the with kill were fucking awesome, right? Yeah, they were yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the kill, fuck, I'm dead. Uh, Blood Duster, who are probably one of the best known ones. Uh, very underrated band, but yeah, no, there's a there's whole long running Aussie grind scene and kind of death grindy scene that uh, just I don't know. It just kind of uh, it got some international attention and that just kind of faded away. But these guys are here to say, apparently, hey, fuck it, we're, we're still doing it, we're still killing almost everybody trying this style of music. Um, well, I, I made an unforgivable critical mistake just there, which is that I talked about aesthetics before I talked about the music. Um, and and I, had sort of, I had sort of mentioned the music in those other styles of grind I was invoking, but what this is just wall-to-wall blast beats, um, and not in a spazzy, herky that throws me off of some of the more technical kinds of grind. Uh, just like wall to wall dynamic blasting, where the riffs are clearly informed by D beat and uh, also real death metal. Mm-hmm. But they are far more abstract than death metal riffs and far more sort of like uh, snaky and D beat riffs, right? Uh, yeah. And 
the the riffs just bounce and slam off each other in really cool ways, and it's exciting all the way through. Yeah, it doesn't have the uh, like spazzy tech grind quality, but it does have the the sudden like roller coaster whiplash moments that good grindcore should have. You know, yes, like, that's uh, important. Yeah, like comparable to the vanishingly rare, cool, well-known modern grind bands like uh, Worm Rot or something like that. Yeah, I also appreciate that there aren't there really aren't many breakdowns on this. They're so unimportant here. Like, I mean, obviously, I love a good breakdown as much as the next guy, but there's no like it's so devoted to the primary substance of a grindcore record. That there are no just, oh, we have to have a DB part to have a DB part. There's no, oh, we have to have a breakdown to have a breakdown. Mm -hmm. There are any nods, really any nods towards sort of like ignorant hardcore or caveman death metal. None. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And there also aren't, I mean, I know you love you a good sample, and I can appreciate (laughs) them in a certain context, but there are no samples. This is just, I mean, this is really 23 minutes almost entirely of blast beats and not in the panzer division marduk way and it manages to stay interesting all the way through yep you know it's uh Mm -hmm. and i think that's because there's actually despite how straightforward this might seem there's a lot of different kinds of songs on this record Mm -hmm. you know and it really does go to show that yes you can have completely developed and interesting ideas in less than a minute you know, it's, uh, like, these are guys who really know that it's, like, you know, the restrictions of the style aren't restrictions. You know, they're gifts to you to experiment with different ideas and different ways of arranging songs. Um, but you've got the first samples on this one, so uh, let's just start off with a bang. Let's, uh, let's hear how this actually sounds. figured it out okay what you, is it? you know how on the show we've talked about how like and th- i think i think we would stand by this that in some sense grind core you cannot define by a style of riffing mm-hmm. right it's 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 a way of writing a song that uses riff forms from all over the map yeah this band consistent with the sort of down the line what is the primary substance of grind thing this band plays grind riffs I agree. I was going to say something about that, but uh, go ahead. I want to hear. Yeah, Um, I can that kind of almost major key but dissonant kind of vibe that is different from like different from both like uh, death metal, like wonky scronk, uh, 
kind of major key and is different from black metal sort of like uh grandiose inhumanity major key right it's mm-hmm. it's just kind of deliberately inane in a really cool way um <laughs> and um if it sounds like anything the melodic quality and the rhythm are kind of coming from negative approach but from the uh mm. at least in in you know I, all i can trace this back is to hardcore right because i don't know grind internally very well but like Oh, it's very much like the pile-up moments on, like, um, you know, uh, it's like, you know, ready to fight. Ready to fight! Ready to fight! Um, but, um, so it has melodic things. The, the to- I guess what I mean is that the tones in the riff, the intervals, are close, the closest they are to the most aggressive 80s American hardcore, I think. Uh, yeah, um, I can see that. Kind of bouncy, major key, bluesy, dissonant. Um... But they're being just, these are, as you would say, these are gestural riffs or smear riffs. They're so abstract. Um, they are not, they're totally unencumbered by a sense of how a melody is supposed to work. Um, they're just devices for kinetic motion. And in that sense, they're getting closer to the, pri- to the you know, the essence of, of D-beat, too. Like, that is kind of how Discharge worked, just at a different tempo. But, like, um... I mean, yeah, those are grind riffs. Yeah, and I I think that one of the things that really distinguishes them as grind riffs, which is something that it feels like a lot of modern grindcore bands mm-hmm. have forgotten, is that the in terms of guitar technique, the tremolo riff is not the fundamental unit of grindcore. Hmm. It's not. It's sped up hardcore rhythms. Like, you know, periodically, I mean, you go back to Scum, and mm-hmm. you'll hear grinding tremolo stuff but it's usually a bridge between stuff that's more rhythmically active on the guitar yeah um you know the the sort of sawing two chord tremolo thing that's supposed to be a bridge or like a climax right like like yeah like climax of siege of power uh climax of uh what what what's the one about the missile i can't remember um keep going (laughs) isn't that all Mm -hmm. of them (laughs) Um, but yeah that's one thing that makes these guys really cool and i think something about aussie ground in particular is they've really kept the the hardcore energy in the right hand of the guitar and that's one of the things that makes these exciting is that because obviously with these kinds of riffs you're not you're not hooked on to it for melodic ideas or you know well i mean occasionally then i'll sample some stuff later that has really interesting melodic ideas but for the most part you're listening to grindcore as a sort of abstract rhythmic music you know just hardcore played at double speed um and these guys really get that as fundamental to the style and i think that's why we hear such a difference between this and a lot of their contemporaries well bud that's a really good point um, and you're right. That must be that must be one reason I was comparing it to negative approach, and I can totally hear it now that you pointed out. Yeah, if those are maybe there are trem speed sixteenth chords in there, sixteenth note chords in there, but it's not. It's being chopped up and punctuated and broken up in all these different ways. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if you played endless wall of, I would guess maybe. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing that endless that I'm guessing that proper blast trem in grind 
was probably more of a thing with the big, beefy arena grind bands of the early 2000s, like your Nossums and your rot, Rotten Sounds. Rotten Sounds. Yeah, definitely more that. Mm-hmm. But those guys, and but that comes from those guys always being a little bit more on the death metal side. Like, oh, sure. Uh, those guys, I mean, yeah, and I'm not even saying that's necessarily bad, but it's not as grindy yeah, as this. It's, it's not traditional grind. These guys are grind core in a very mm-hmm. specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, let, let's let's listen to your. Uh, you've got a suite of a couple songs for us. I love doing grind oh, records. Yeah. We just do whole songs. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's no sense. I mean, sometimes for me, even though my taste is shaped by hardcore, right? Sometimes for me on a grind record, I'm like, if there's a sense of fragmentation from song to song, then the fact that one is 15 seconds long might be a little bit uh, annoying or underwhelming. <laughs> but all of them stack on each other in a continuous way. It's just one long 25-minute performance. Uh, And even in, like, a 25-second song... Like, there's a way of, like, doing a 25-second song where they're just one riff, two riff, done. And there's actually no idea. This band will just finish a hardcore song in 25 seconds. And it'll be like, oh, that was pretty satisfying. A lot happened. (laughs) So... So... Anyway, let's uh, let's start at uh, we we're going from um, you know here's some of the good titles we're going from uh, agonisiac through uh, harpooned. <laughs> Because, like, Agonisiac, I mean, that's 25 seconds, but it's, like, there's there's a main riff, and then there's another riff that's related in kind of a motivic way, and there's mm-hmm. a break between them. It's a, it's a pretty impressively complete idea in less than 30 seconds. Exactly. Yeah, you don't, and because there's another one coming up, I don't feel like I've been gypped at all. Like, uh... And, you know, this music invites you to thrash around. It's so success... You know, that's another thing. Sometimes things like grind can be so uh, fast or so herky-jerky that they disconnect from the body. And the really short song thing, I think... I think that's one reason I often don't like the really short song thing is that you can't really lock into it. It's hard to physically engage. You can't... I'm sure if you're at a grind show, right? An actual grind show, well, you're just crashing around. You're, you're push-moshing. You know, and just, like, mm. falling down and shit. Um, well, while like, listening uh, to this, it's like, with the micro songs on this one, it's it's kind of like the stops are, like, 
you know, the, the breaks between tracks are like stops in like a, a three or four minute track, you know, imagine as a dramatic pause rather than a new yeah, song. Yeah, no, you know? th- those two, those two really do work together. And I guess what I'm saying is even if you just isolate Agonisiac or something like mm-hmm. you can like the music invites you to thrash around at such high speeds that like you can rock out to that track for 30 seconds. Like, um, but what I wanted to say was just, um, um, more in terms of the tonality here, using that kind of 80s hardcore tonality. You get mm-hmm. I, parts of that coming are coming from Discharge, parts of that show up in Celtic Frost, right? And, yeah. um, you know, or yeah, like uh, a lot of stuff onto Megatherion. But like, or even earlier into the Crypt of Rays, yeah. You know? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but what is a what is a big footprint there still is blues scales, like mm-hmm. ways of using tritones that are coming from the extreme blues in Sabbath or in the Motorhead version or the early Metallica version or what. Um, and uh, you know, um, it's a common thread with the Fatum that we just talked about, like uh. You know, Fodum is, like, actively incorporating the rock and roll undertone of a lot of those formative bands. Um, this band is kind of doing the opposite. They're reminding us that you can use blues scales to make highly abstract, kind of cold, unrockin' riffs, mm-hmm. right? You can yeah. use them to make kind of just nasty, aggressive, pure extreme music. Uh, and, um, you know, that... You, when I was younger, that seemed obvious to me because I was listening to a lot of Discharge and Motorhead and Napalm Death all at the same time, right? And you can hear those blues ideas in Napalm Death too. But if yeah, you listen to a lot all of black... the same band secretly, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the point is, they're not really functioning as blues riffs in this context, but the intervals are being used, and there is some historical connection there. And it just is another range of emotional expression that's available in, like, really extreme blast beating music that is not always used. And when it's used, it's often a stupid signposty way, like, for black metal, greasy motorhead riff, or, like, um, like, like, uh, like, deep fried southern sludge riff, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, here it's all incorporated mm-hmm. very naturally. You know, without any mm-hmm. the signposting or any the, like weird particularisms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then kind of expanding off that, let's get to my samples, which are a little bit longer, a little bit more death metal, and a little more involved. Um, so let's go to failed organum, um, and here's just an example of why these guys really are elevated over the rest of the guys. This is a minute and a half long song. And it's like, well, what do we do in a minute and a half for a grindcore song? How many times has this been done? Well, why don't we just add twice as many riffs? Well, and we I, I can have between... sex six times. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. I can't even get hard. Well, whatever. <laughs> Two sides of the same struggle. Um, so, yeah, double the number of riffs. Make the transitions between them really elegant and really clean in the way that only really good friends playing together can do it. And Mm -hmm. there you go. You got a phenomenal grind song. (laughs) 
know, one of my litmus tests for Grindcore these days is really like, um, I feel like at the end of the 90 second song, it should feel like it was a three or four minute song. Like it had that much going on. The ideas were complete enough. And that's a great case of that because that's about five distinct riffs within a minute and a half. They transition from and into each other really elegantly. And it's amazing just to realize, you know, I keep harping on this, how much can be done in these short frames of time. Like when that kind of crusty breakdown thing hits, it's, it's all of 15 seconds long, but it has the same weight that it would in a three or four minute song because they've prepped it so well. The time frame is compressed, but the structure is not. It's as full as any song of a more conventional length, I think. Yeah, I'd say that about, um, you know, that first riff, too. There's, again, one of those kind of hyper-dissonant, kind of bluesy riffs. But there, it's just full-on. There, you really hear it as a discharge-style riff, right? Mm -hmm. That is a just sort of crushing, surrender-all-hope, peak 80s D-beat grind kind of riff. And you can tell, he knew, I've always insisted, right, there are differences between good and bad riffs like this. He knew he (laughs) got a good one. Because uh, a cool thing also, grindcore bands sometimes change riffs too fast. He doesn't. (laughs) He plays that like 16 times, right? And they blast it out. Um, And then the other short riff. (laughs) Yeah, and the other riffs start answering it. But so there's another version of that that basic riffing idea. I loved that first riff and everything followed on it so well. Like the end of the song even has a compelling ending. It escalates to a meaningful conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's there's not much to say. It's just a really goddamn good grind record in an era that's starving for that. You know? I, I, I feel like not to get on a tangent, but I feel like it, the problem is like grind is such a uh, kind of a blank slate, or at least mm-hmm. it's seen yeah. as a blank slate, a sort of structural conceit with which you do whatever you want. And the problem is like <laughs> same problem as everywhere else, you know, art kids hooked onto it, and now I have to suffer through people talking about full of hell and shit like that. It's like Jesus. Oh, man. They're yeah. like a they're like a grind band, but they got like these electronic noise parts. It's like could could I have the grind without the electronic With noise parts? Black and death metal influences. Can we fucking not do that? Can I and, just have a good grindcore record? <laughs> and sludge influences. Oh God. Ugh. No. No. Thank you, man. And and the, and the problem. I don't even necessarily have anything against those fundamental conceits, but the riffs always suck. For those bands, versus Internal mm-hmm, Rod, who have mm-hmm. sick riffs for 23 minutes all the way through, and I have nothing more to ask for. But that's that's my that's my uh, old grind guy griping, I guess. I don't know. Um, but to wrap it up, we'll get to we'll get to one of the epics uh, <laughs> of the record. It's almost two minutes long. Um, this is called Sensitive Cop. It's a, <laughs> That's also it's the a best title. One. I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is interesting because this kind of goes in two directions. This is both kind of crustier than most of the stuff on the record, and it's also more death metal than mm. a lot of the stuff. And because it's a little bit longer, it's about two minutes, you know, they've got a little bit more space to play with, so it's 
kind of ambitiously structured. You're going to hear a really distinct opening riff, and then they're going to play with that motif through the rest of the track in the same way that we would talk about, you know, really motivic death or black metal bands. Um, So I think this is kind of like when we were talking about Totenbach. These are really sophisticated guys slumming it and just doing fun, high-energy grind stuff, but they can't let go of the really well-thought-out and deep musical ideas behind it. track descends from that first high chord of the first riff and that becomes the home you know the the home territory of all the riffs after it uh exploring this kind of similar uh, melodic dimension this kind of motif that they keep arranging and rearranging and breaking down and i don't know it's just it's really cool to see those ideas emerge in a style like this without sacrificing any of the immediacy that's important for Grindcore. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. And we are back from uh, frenetic, relentlessly blasting Grindcore, internal rot, to some frenetic, relentlessly blasting true black metal from hate spirit this is ageless wilderness and this is definitely one of the best and truest black metal records of the last uh you know i don't know last five years last whatever meaningful unit of time give it six i don't know um certainly uh in terms of music that is very faithful to some of the most um 
most sort of singular and demanding parts of the second wave uh this band is pretty much uh, unmatched the only other bands that i can think of that are somewhere in this league would be something like Giendod at their most aggressive or um maybe maybe i could scrape for one or two others but um <clears throat> hate spirit is a pretty unique band to me um they are from finland and yet they don't really sound that much like what like finnish black metal uh, at least not the classic Franco-Finnish style that we hear via, you know, that we've all inherited via Sargeist and certain parts of Satanic Warmaster and Goat Moon, right? Mm-hmm. Wh- what did you make of this? Um, this is... Well, this is interesting. Uh, so obviously, this is outside of the wheelhouse. You know that going into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think, kind of like you are with Brutal Death, I'm starting to figure out the difference between bands that I like in this style and mm-hmm. bands that I don't. Um, mm-hmm. I would say there is something that goes on, kind of similar to there's like there's a ceiling to how much I can like this stuff. Um, sure, in sure. the same way that probably there is for like slam records for you or brutal death I think yeah you know well, I, I think know, there you, there may someday be a brutal death record that crosses that boundary well I, I think that when you get to the really abstract brutal death you've already gotten past that like you were way more enthusiastic about like a lot of Oscar Ortega stuff you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing but and then for me something that would cross that boundary but still be kind of in this wheelhouse is what well, you mentioned them already, Gendod, who I thought mm-hmm. about a lot while listening mm-hmm. to this. You know, mm-hmm. Gendod crosses that, but Gendod also oh. has different stuff going on. I think the um, other band you could say, like that Kaiva EP that came out like ten years ago at a huge dry spell for true black metal, like uh, that—that's something somewhat like this level of intensity. Anyway, that just came to me. Um, yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is definitely getting towards that ceiling of how much I can like something that's this kind of rigorous and second wave in tone without actually sounding like the second wave. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of hard to describe this. This works in a very strange space in black metal. Um, it's comparable to a lot of things, but really mostly sounds like itself. Um, yes. But I think... I, I think the difference I'm starting to realize is if you're going to deal with, like, strident, repetitive, kind of deliberately primitive and forceful black metal like this, it really comes down to, is there enough juice in the riffs to justify it? Because um, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of bands that operate in a similar style who expect just, like, energy and arrogance to get them across the finish line. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which is yeah. fine, you know, I, I appreciate energy and arrogance in black metal, especially, you know, kind of stuff that's on the more dissonant or raw side. But there's bands who have the riffs to back that up, and there's bands who don't. And Hate Spirit mm-hmm. are a band who actually have the riffs to back it up. You know, there's the, the juice is worth the squeeze for these guys. I'm sure they'll put that on the liner notes for the next record. I was thinking a sticker right on the shrink wrap. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah, the juice is worth the squeeze. Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast. Uh, so yeah, um, I think that's well said. The interesting thing is that it doesn't really 
what it has in kind what this has are the musical values of the second wave. Yes. Especially the second wave at its most extreme. It has a sense of what black metal is about that is closer than virtually any band now, maybe even Genda, to like what some of the more I don't know, even to this doesn't really sound like Dark Throne, but it's a closer sense of what is valuable in music to peak trilogy Dark Throne than mm-hmm. almost anything else. Closer in a sense of what is valuable music to pre-Night Side Emperor. Closer in a sense of what is valuable in music to, like, pre-Demisterious Mayhem. Um, mm-hmm. Or, uh, or uh, you know, early Gorgoroth at their most fiery, right? Uh, but well, this it is doesn't... Black metal. This is Black metal that's still trying to be very heavy, which is something yes. you've introduced me to a lot more. Yeah, Gendo like... does that quite well, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's trying to be really heavy, and more than heavy, it's, um, uh, it really, like, uh, it wants to destroy its enemies, right? Mm-hmm. This is, uh, this is black metal written with destructive, outwardly bursting energy. Um, it's, it's aggressive, right? I mean, you know, there are, uh, there are different kinds of heaviness, right? Uh, and, um... This is, uh, I don't know, you know, the sense... So what, what kind of musical values are there to this? Well, like, uh, guitar tone should be cold, but cold and powerful. You're not... Tr- We've talked about this in all sorts of things on this show, but you are not trying to make the guitars sound bad. You are just trying to make them scare those death metal pussies in Gothenburg, right? Yes, um, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, um... You, uh, the music should be played live, essentially. This has to have been recorded live. Um, Mm -hmm. there's just crazed full band attack energy. Um, it should sound possessed. Uh, everything should be sort of spilling over from its appointed spot in the music. Um, it should be vitally connected to hardcore without in any way dropping in quote-unquote punk parts. Mm -hmm. Uh... Um, and I mean, uh, and the sense of melody, as I've, you know, talked about with other bands like this, right? The, the sense of harmony, it, there's careful attention to harmony, which should walk, move across a spectrum from extreme dissonance to, uh, sort of noble, glorious, what we would traditionally call melodic melody, often like, you know, glorious harmonic qualities that make things sound quote-unquote melodic, right? More consonant stuff. It should move across that full spectrum, and it should often do them both at the same time. Uh, And it should sound ancient. Uh, And this in no way sound like... There's no, quote, nothing remotely like a folk black metal part here. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly no stock folk melodies. Uh... But there's kind of a sense of weird, deranged, shamanic folk music in some of the melodies. And uh, more than that, it's just a vibe. Um, Mm -hmm. So in terms of the influences also, like, really, I mean, this I don't think I'm projecting here. This band is listening to some of the most, the second wave stuff that's most important to me, and also I think to you. Like, as far as the big canonical bands, Gorgoroth is clearly the one. But I think mostly under the sign of hell, which has this just sort of mm-hmm. furious thrashing impulse to it, um, and has a similar guitar tone, just like crackling with energy. Um, 
uh, similar severity. Toka, right, or talk, however you want to say it, right? One of your favorites. When this band goes epic, the melodies are usually not so much Finnish as like Toka melodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of their later Which stuff even sounds also what? connects to Gendo there. Yes. And like very sim and here very simplified token melodies. Like here are three huge chords. There you go. Bye. Um, uh, a lot of the punkiness here. Well, it's from Gorgoroth, and it's also from Soren. Uh, and also a lot of like the winding, looping, uh, just sort of uh, inhuman. Well, we were talking about sort of like. Uh, you know, black metal, strange major key as kind of inhuman and, uh, you know, uh, inhuman and mystical in the last, when we're talking about that grind band. Well, Sorin are the masters of that. Things that sound sort of major key, but wonky and cutting. Uh, mm-hmm. And most of, maybe most of all, I think, in terms of the format, is actually Iljarn. This band is, like, hugely Iljarn influenced. It just doesn't remotely sound like Ibeat. But it's all like one-two punk beats with just this, and one-two punk beats and sort of like uh, two-step skank parts and stomps with just these hammering, just totally bare-bones drums in terms of like, not in terms of the performance, which is phenomenal, but the complexity. Uh, and, and the last salient thing would just be like, yeah, the punk is all coming from the root, and you can hear it. This band has discharged bulldozer bass. Mm-hmm. So... Let's uh, start in on the beginning of, yeah, let's just go to the beginning of the record. Uh, And when you first hear this, this is a common theme, I guess, on things tonight. It's like, here's a part that might sound bad at first. When the record rips in, you might think, oh no, is this just going to be some rote blasting stuff? That last thing was the epic riff, right? Da 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 da. Um, uh, and you can hear that that has kind of a more sort of grand, 
quality to it, but it's uh, really nasty. <laughs> um, it's Well, there is something interesting about this record. They mm-hmm. don't like to center songs around standard riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there, it's like even, you know, the opening riff and really all the riffs in that sample are a little bit out there. They're a little bit too high on the fretboard. They're a little bit too precise, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in the way they operate melodically. It doesn't feel like there's a a stable resting point that they're sitting on, which I think is part of the, the tension of this record. You know, it never yep. feels like you're settling into anything. I see what you mean. Yeah, it's very high tension. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? I think maybe also something you said about Axis of Advance applies here, which is that there is no... there are. There are a few big hook moments on this record. There are definitely riffs that are hookier than others, kind of like Axis of Advance, but none of the riffs are being foregrounded over others structurally. Um, in that mm-hmm. sequence of three riffs, um, you have the big blasting riff, you have the skank beat riff, you have the sort of more climactic riff. Well, the more climactic riff is the one that goes for the briefest amount of time. Uh, the skank beat is kind of the centerpiece there. Uh but it's also kind of like the locked-in default attack riff. Um, they're not really asking you to choose which of those is the most important riff style. Uh, which I guess is what you were saying. Well, yeah, and that's, that's something that's actually... That ties back into the, like, Iljarn idea, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, interesting. Iljarn, I see what you mean. Yeah. It, well, Iljarn has always been interesting to me because... You know, it's like the band that I go to the most, that I revisit the most without liking. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because the conceit of it is so interesting. These kind of like rough outlines of songs where it, they're almost formless. You know, the, mm-hmm. there's two, three riffs and none of them are foregrounded. There's no sort of arc to the songs. And this is a little bit more like normal music than Uljarn, but something similar happens here. Everything's very horizontal. There's not really dramatic peaks and valleys in the ways that you typically expect from heavy metal or black metal in particular. Well, but some black metal. You know, I guess I probably have a taste for horizontal black metal. Yeah, Um, no, that's a fair caveat to this whole thing. Is like, for the black metal that I listen to, you know, the, the black metal that owes most of its life to Iron Maiden. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I know what you but, mean. But, but even about, you know, like Mayhemic stuff is very pretty vertical. Um, you know, like Hate Forest has some of those riffs swoop up and down to a great degree, but it's a very horizontal motion, right? It just rolls yeah. and batters ahead. Um, and this is horizontal. The kind of horizontality here you get is ripping. This is like ultimate like running through the woods at night music mm-hmm. uh like you're running because you're just like drunk out of your mind just just ecstatic under the stars with your bros or your lady or you're running because you are chasing down you know you are chasing down the christians in the woods um uh, <laughs> right um and i once showed my uh yeah so and and the ultimate band for that also is soren uh, mm-hmm. And the funny thing is the skank beat there hits, if you're a modern black metal guy, especially from America, you'll think, oh, Iljarn, or maybe you'll think like, uh, or maybe you'll notice the kind of bouncy, the kind of 
kind of epic, bouncy, almost Dorian scale vibe in the riff, and you'll think, uh, or kind of, it is kind of Dorian scale. Sort of, you'll, you'll notice that melodic turn in the riff, and you'll think, oh, you know, like, uh, sounds kind of RAC, sounds kind of Total Vernichtung or whatever, right? Um, this is like, this is the stompy part. It's coming from Soren. Um, and that kind of mm. like wildly looping manic lead is like something you'd get on Apocalypse's angle. Um, I remember I once asked my... I, I always thought that the first Soren record was like about just like, you know, you know, like werewolves or like elves hunting people in the woods. And like my friend who was Swedish read the lyrics and he was like, Oh shit, these lyrics are sick. They're about like turning into a werewolf and hunting people in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, All right, on to you. All right, so uh So well this relates to something I set up front, the idea that okay, you're going to do stridently repetitive very horizontal black metal. How do you do that and capture my attention? Well, you make the riffs weird and you make the riffs unique. You know, you create enough depth within those riffs to sustain being played eight times in a row and mm-hmm. to yes. only be alternated very yes. sparingly. Um, because frankly, at this point, I'm not going to say, <laughs> I'm not trying to say that I'm above anything, but just your, your like clanging, like Celtic frosty Dark Throne riff, you're not going to fucking do that eight times and keep my attention unless you are one of the best people in the world at it. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Hate Spirit does riffs that are fucking weird, and I don't know the origin of. So, let's go mm-hmm. to the back end of Unleashed, um, mm-hmm. where in this sample, it's a couple minutes long, it's really just two riffs alternating, but there's enough weirdness and enough interesting angles to these riffs mm-hmm. where it holds my attention all the way through.
so I was incorrect. That's actually way more than a couple riffs going back and forth. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's... But to be fair, hate spirit stuff always tends to like operate within the same general sphere. It it, it doesn't like. I mean, that kind of relates to why I said the. It doesn't really like punch out in specific places. It doesn't. Uh, there's no effort to draw the listener's ear anywhere in particular. Um, Except for that last riff, which is that last like, this one track, is pretty climactic. Yeah, this track is my favorite on the record. I think it'd be hard. And of course, you're good at finding your way to the bangers. This track does not hit you. One reason I love it is it does not hit you over the head with "this is the banger," but it just comes in with that riff and ends with that riff. And, you know, that's one of those, like, cascading, like, simplified toka-type riffs, where, mm. which is, you know, that's just very, you know, clawfist in the air, right? Well, there's a lot of really interesting little touches in these riffs. Mm-hmm. Like, that mm-hmm. that initial riff that the sample opens on, that they sit on for a while, it's like, there's lots of, like, mm-hmm. weird, interesting timing stuff going mm-hmm. on at mm-hmm. the end of the riffs, like these little micro changes that might not even be deliberate, but Mm -hmm. those are the kind of things that I'll seize on to, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a riff with enough going on in it. You know, we're not just doing another sawing in the shadow of the horns riff. We're doing something distinct. We're doing something specialized. We're not just doing a black metal riff. We are doing a riff with a purpose and a narrative behind it. And yeah, not just can, a black metal riff, but this each one of them has a this riff quality. Exactly. So I think my whole thing, I guess my my supposition about this record is, I think I can get into the style of black metal as long as they're doing riffs like that. Things that are more purpose-built and more specialized, I'm not just there to wear a leather jacket and big sunglasses and feel cool. Like, well, speak for yourself, content. buddy. <laughs> well, that's how you that's how you were raised so. yeah yeah i came here to wear a sun wear, wear uh you know wear a leather jacket and sunglasses and be cool and i'm all out of being cool um it's uh uh no so um yeah that, that i mean that is a really powerful sequence um I guess another thing is that, like, instead of having all other riffs oriented towards one riff, all these riffs are oriented towards each other. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the riff pointing to? The riff after it. Mm -hmm. They're all all bouncing off the riff before and all trying furiously to get to the next one. Um, The only thing where it ever sounds like there's kind of, like, sitting on a blast is the very first riff on the record. I forgot to say this about, like, that part that seems like, oh, no, this might be the bad part. Mm -hmm. They are just kind of sitting there. Um, That specific thing is basically a quotation from Revelation of Doom, which is the beginning of Under the Sign of Hell, which is also Mm -hmm. Gorgoroth sitting on a blast beat just to smash your head in with it. And then they're like okay, if you can get through that, you can listen to the rest of the record. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like barrier to entry. Uh, and this, so the rest of the record, these blasts you sampled, right? Each of those blasting trem riffs just, it can be fine to have a powerful static blast riff. Like when Angelus Wilderness drops back into the blast, the blast is crushing. Uh, mm-hmm. But here, the even those little just three or four chord things sawing over the blast beats are really fast. They're going somewhere, surging ahead into the next riff. 
No, yeah, definitely. So, it's a. I, I like what you said about the idea that the riffs are more pointed at each other than to the listener. It feels like all these songs feel like a very internal process, and <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't really matter if you're listening or not. They oh. exist just in the ether. You know. That is smart. Yes, this is. Fiercely autistic and actually yeah. objective, right? <laughs> it's very it's, um, autistic, yeah. It's just like, yeah, this is this is militant autism unchained, right? Um, the best, it's, the uh, best extreme like, metal is extremely autistic. We've always yeah, exactly. insisted on that. <laughs> exactly. This is, um, it is, I really like that, yes. The music, not really care that they're playing this music, but the music itself is interest in pleasing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh... Or, or even in evoking, like, it's not trying to sell you on any particular feeling. I <laughs> no, I was there. Gonna, I was gonna say something like that. It's like it, it's weird yeah. because it's like because something that I would say about this is like even in its most melodic moments, this music feels kind of like kind of lifeless, but not in a negative way, like in a grim black metal way. And it's not that it's lifeless, it's that the kind of life it's describing is totally internal to the music. Like, you're not meant to really get it, I don't think. No, it's like nature. I mean, this is this is black metal inhumanity. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it's... Uh, the, the, uh, their own liner notes for the record are actually really good. I'd... Uh, um, I'd recommend reading them, but they're like thinking about things like they, they close out with this. Uh, honestly, this is kind of a charming quotation, unusual for the energy of the rest of the record, but it shows that they're thinking about this stuff. They say the mountains, the forest and the sea render men savage. They develop the fierce, but yet do not destroy the human Victor Hugo. So you get that little note of romanticism at the end, but the point is they are thinking about all these things that are very not human uh, mm-hmm. in you know, relation to us. If anything, it's kind of kind of a nice touch of maturity at the end to suggest that there might also be some value to keeping your heart in some extent. But um, but the point is, they are very very interested in the of and beyond the human, and in mm-hmm. you know tapping into that power and becoming like it to some degree, which they're doing when they're playing. And it's like if you're listening, you can either like look, you can either take your shirt off and run around or not. Right. Um, yeah <laughs> it's uh so with that um i don't i think we've basically said everything there is to say about this record let's get through a couple more samples um speaking of taking your shirt off and running around this is oak and moon <laughs>
So that song has 2.5 riffs. <laughs> uh, right? There's there's a third riff that comes in, uh, but it is a chromatic slide that kind of is a variation on the second riff. The third was like... This actually connects pretty well tonally a little bit to that internal rot. This is another version of stuff that's kind of like like major key stuff with tritones thrown in because what the hell um yeah yeah uh and uh you know this is another place where like the iljarn influence is really clear but they're playing the iljarn beat it is not as lifeless in terms of that kind of deliberate lifelessness or remoteness or coldness they're not playing the they're not playing the i beat the sort of like strictly uniform kind of almost un in some ways kind of undriving iljarn beat right this is more like, this is a propulsive physical punk beat, but you can hear that the idea of what a punk, how a punk beat works and the extreme minimalism is all just taking the Iljarn idea and kind of opening it out again. Uh, yeah. I, I get what you're getting at because like, like it's weird, like listening to this and like reframing how I think about Iljarn. And I think mm-hmm. just now I had a, <laughs> I had an epiphany on something that literally doesn't matter in the world at all, but... Well, that's our whole show. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. Iljarn was trying to be heavy, in a way. Yeah! Like, Iljarn is... Like, the deliberate weird tempo of Iljarn is not because he couldn't play that fast, but because he thought it was heavier and more extreme at this weird upper mid-pace of that drum machine. That's pretty cool. That's a good idea. It's a very different way of thinking about it. And goddamn, now I now I gotta fucking go back and listen to forest poetry for the oh God, thousandth time too. to try and make it fucking work for me. <laughs> well, well, you know, there's also some early Iljarn that sounds more like punky Iljarn worship after it. The recordings mm-hmm. he has, you know, one of the biggest things that tells you everything you need to know about second wave black metal and in some ways, everything you need to know about where hate spirit is coming from is that Iljarn was friends with Ison. Mm, yeah. They walked yeah. around being angry, serious, bald men together. Um, and, oh, maybe Ison wasn't bald yet, yeah, just receding hairline. But, um, uh, <laughs> they, um, but they, uh, but Ison sang on some Iljarn demos or early EPs. And those actually are way more power chordy and just more conventionally aggressive in a way that makes them more normally listenable. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, well, um, like, I mean, I've always said I love the conceit of Iljarn. And mm-hmm. I think yeah. that I, I, I still believe somewhere in my heart of hearts that one day it's all going to click for me. But <laughs> I, was, I, I, was also, I was also just thinking, you know, just now it's like, when it comes to any black metal in this style, I, I, I've realized the difference. Like, if you describe it as, oh, like, black punk or, like, black metal mm-hmm. punk stuff, I already know it's going to be bad. Because yep. black metal already has the punk in it. Yes, yes. If you have to draw attention to it, that means that you're you're bullshitting me from the beginning. Because black metal is already full of punk. The energy from punk is intrinsic to the style if you have to draw attention to it that means you don't understand black metal to begin with 
I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, like uh, the way that punk works in... Yeah, punk is just like... You couldn't point to a punk part in an early Dark Throne song because it's the whole fucking song. Um, you know, like... Uh, yeah, so we got like... Um, this track... You know, the other thing about this track, right? It's just got this manic, almost goofy, upbeat mood to it. It's mm -hmm. and I, I all initially saw it as kind of this almost novelty on the record, like okay, they did this really serious track unleashed, and now they've got a just extraordinary like essence of severity, and so now they're just sort of like, just like like loosening it up, and uh, but since then it's actually one of the most memorable riffs on the record to me. I don't know what that says about me. But um, it's it's got this like uh, go total goon vibes, which I really like. Um, 